BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Thursday, September 26th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, in these times, writer Miles Komplassen is back. Don Villar of the Chicago Federation of Labor will join us. And we welcome community activist Nicole Johnson. And now your host, the meanest air organ player on the planet. <laughs> Chicago reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> We're calling this ball of confusion Thursday, Here's why. Woke up this morning at the crack of 925. Hey, that's pretty early. Yeah, and damn near lost my freaking mind. Why, you ask? Because the world was going mother beep and fascinate. Folks, I could barely keep pace. I know what you're going to say, Dr. D. You're going to say, that's well, correct. <laughs> maybe if you got up at a reasonable hour, you'd be able to keep pace. Well, you know, that's an excellent point, even if I'm the one who made it. Anyway, I got up. First thing I did was I grabbed the New York Times, found it on my front porch, home delivered as always, folks. And I knew they were going to have this. I knew they were going to have a transcript of Donnie Trump's uh, phone conversation with the president of the Ukraine. And I knew they were going to highlight all the good parts. And sure enough, they came through. They did the same thing for me on the Mueller report. So yesterday, uh, uh, Dennis and I were driving home. We were really cracking up. We listened to, oh, what's the old boy's name again that we listened Jimmy to? Dore. Jimmy Dore. Jimmy is very funny, very smart, very sharp. But he's ripping the New York Times. But Jimmy Dore, come on, show some love. They they got all the info when you really need it there, at least on the, the transcript here of the uh, phone call from uh, Donald Trump to the president of Ukraine. And of course, my poor wife is trying to do her work as she heads off to her dame. Honey, honey, let me read you the relevant parts. Okay, okay. Imagine being married to me. Uh, okay, here we no. go. Uh, and then, then I would like, President Trump said, well, it's very nice of you to say that. I will say that we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time. And then he says, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country's been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. And then he says, why don't you look into Joey Biden and his son and then he says i would like to have the attorney general call you and your people and i'd like to get you to the bottom of it and i'm like oh my god it's a freaking shakedown he's saying if you want the money for your weapons if you want the weapons then you got to help us do it a little dig a little dirt on old joey biden, biden. why is he obsessed with joe biden huh no, everybody comes in this studio, cannot stand Joe Biden. I'm the only one who defends him. Anybody, isn't that true, D? I'm yeah. trying to think of anybody who would just say something nice about Joe. And we have all the Democrats coming in. And nobody, but Trump is obsessed with Joe Biden. Anyway, you know why? Because Joe Biden said, I'll take you out in that back alley, son, and I'll whoop you. And Trump's never gotten over. Let's go. <laughs> Can you imagine Trump in a boxing I'll match? I'll kick your ass. Come here. <laughs> old wait, people fighting. Wait, 
that sounded a little like Mueller right there. I'm just saying, okay? A little bit that. That's my universal old, old guy. guy. Hey, well, no, do the grandfather from The Simpsons. Oh, I, I don't do the grandfather. Oh. Abraham. I'm sorry. I'm an artist. I just cannot do. Hey, I knocked over the thing of Harold Washington. Oh. <laughs> Wait, where was I? I got caught in the middle of a tra- in, in the middle of a thought on a tangent with you. Oh, anyway, right in the middle of reading the transcript of the New York Times to my wife, who was writing checks and doing business, trying to get out of the house. What happened? Deep, 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 deep. Uh, uh, update from my phone. That's my phone. Deep, 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 deep. The whistleblower. The whistleblower's, uh, his uh, memo was released to Congress, and Congress released it to the public, and now it's all over the Internet. And one more time, folks, for some of you who are just catching on, the whistleblower is an unnamed White House intelligence officer who is called the whistleblower because he was the one who blew the whistle on Donnie Trump's July 25th phone call to the president of Ukraine. You know, the phone call where Donnie said, uh, I will say that we do a lot for Ukraine. That's my Don Trump imitation. How about that? Uh, I, I do a lot. <laughs> Garbage. I I do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time. How about that? Is that good? How about if I do it as Clinton? I do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of time. Is that good? Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, my Clinton imitation is not that good. Uh, anyway, Clinton's great. It's you know, just, Trump just stinks. No, he does. Everybody does a better Trump than me. Trump does a better Trump than me. Anyway, that phone call, that one where Trump said, if uh, you want that money for your arms, you better give us some dirt on Joey Biden. That phone call. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so what's the latest news? Wait, break news hold on let me go to my phone here we go da, da, da. it's this is so late, late breaking i can't even get it uh, off of the internet uh, excuse me off of my newspaper the white house officials who told me this is the whistleblower this information was deeply disturbed by what had uh, transpired in the phone call they told me that there was already a quote discussion go- ongoing with white house lawyers about how to treat the call because of the likelihood in the officials retelling that they had witnessed the president abuse his office for personal gain. In other words, folks, they were trying to figure a way to bury this info before it got out and it embarrassed the president and uh, gave more fuel to the fire for an impeachment. You would think the president would know enough in the, uh, just after the Mueller report came out talking about how his campaign was ne- was uh, up to its eyeballs and wheeling and dealing with uh, President Putin's hackers and to get bad information to Hillary Clinton. You would think the president would be wise enough or smart enough or not foolish enough to go down that path again. But the day after Mueller's testimony, he went right down that path one more time. And now they're trying to cover it up. So in addition to like, I don't know, potential extortion, they got cover up. All right. And then it occurred to me, D, in the midst of everything else, you know what it occurred to me? I got to see what the Tribune has to say about this. Now, I know what you're saying oh, out boy. there. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Why would you go to the <sighs> Tribune? I know where this is going. Well, folks, let me just say this about the Tribune. It is, the I think, the number one newspaper in terms of circulation in the city of Chicago. All right? So you might, just for just a different worldview, I might take a look at the Tribune, see what most people in Chicago are reading. People of Chicago, you're a very confusing lot. I have to tell you, you vote 80% uh, Democrat in every single presidential election, and yet your number one newspaper in church of cir- circulation has an editorial board that could not bring itself to endorse Hillary Clinton. Remember that, D? Who'd they endorse? 
Uh, that uh, one guy, Gary, Gary Johnson. Johnson, the libertarian. They were like, oh, we don't want to endorse Hillary, but we look really stupid if we endorse Donald Trump. I know, we'll endorse some guy nobody ever heard of named Gary Johnson. I believe the quote from the Tribune was, I'm scared. <laughs> Hold on, guys. You come out now, Tribune. Oh, they're under the table. Come on, Tribune. Oh, we're really scared. We, we, we don't want to endorse Hillary, but got it. We can't endorse Trump. I know, Gary Johnson. Anyway, so here we go. We have Trump releasing a transcript, more or less. The White House releasing the transcript that shows that Trump said, uh, we do a lot for you. Now, do me a favor. Wonder what the Tribune's going to make of that. Because they're always denouncing wrongdoing by Democrats in the city of Chicago, right, D? They're all, always denouncing quid pro quo of Chicago Democrats, you know, shaking down people for contributions, uh, twisting arms, right? So let me see what the Tribune said. Here we go. Blah, 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 blah. It's a long, blah, 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 blah. Here we get to the key part. Trump was wrong to make that request. Wrong? That's it? He was wrong? If I say two plus two is five, that is wrong. But calling up the president of the Ukraine and saying, I don't know, we do favors for you now, do a favor for me, that's freaking extortion. That's potentially impeachable. Come on, Tribune. D, just for a moment, imagine if it had been House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan making a phone call like that to some business leader. My God, the Tribune had already taken a rope and tied it into a noose. Come on, Tribune. Come out from under the table. Stop being such a wimp when it comes to Donald Trump. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflas, I'll tell you what. Miles is not a wimp when it comes to Donald Trump. He's going to tell it like it is about what went down. He's been feverishly keeping pace with the whistleblower updates. Well, we've been here in the studios. He'll be talking whistleblower. He'll be talking uh, the uh, White House reaction. He'll be talking about what the Democrats should do. And chicken sandwiches. And, yes. What's yes. Donald Trump's favorite chicken sandwich? Uh, I think Don, Donnie is, he did like, didn't he used to like Kentucky Fried Chicken? Or isn't he more a McDonald's guy? I, I don't know. I don't know. Clinton was a McDonald's guy. Uh, I don't know what, yeah, no, yeah, Clinton's yeah. a vegan now, by the way. Anyway, uh, so Miles, I mean, and he also, we're going to do uh, some, uh, discuss the Chicago Teachers Union. Miles was at the big uh, rally they had the other day where Bernie Sanders, Dennis's favorite, spoke. Uh, and so, and Sue Garza. 10%. We'll get into Sue Garza. I love Sue Garza. Sue Garza. Sue, Sue, Sue. Love Sue Garza. Anyway, uh, we'll be talking about that uh, uh don Villar from the chicago federation of labor will be in here uh we'll do a rundown of all the labor situation good god chicago has suddenly woken up and its unions have come alive good for the union so we'll be talking we had the nurses in yesterday remember d great interview um but you can listen if you haven't heard it already you can listen after today's show uh, and then Nicole Johnson, uh, she ran for alderman in the 20th Ward uh, in February or March. Uh, she'll be in the studio talking about what's, what's ahead for her and her political career. Oh, getting a lot of pol political talk, local uh, and national. And then, Dee didn't mention this, but after the regular show... Dan Savage will be stopping by, the legendary, legendary, I say, uh, a columnist. You see him here in The Reader, but he's actually based out of Seattle. He's in town, and uh, he agreed to come to the show. We'll talk a little about a co his column, uh, his life here in Chicago. He grew up in Chicago, and then we'll get into some political talk because Dan Savage knows his politics. He sent me this uh, self-effacing text going, well, it's, I don't know, I'll try to talk. The dude knows his politics, so I'm really looking forward. Been looking forward to this all week. Dan Savage will be here. D, you got to do some wheeling and dealing, and with the little camera and everything when Dan's here. Recording? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'll be live streaming. Oh. It. 
I'll tell you what, folks. Every baby boomer should attach himself to a millennial because that'll get you through life, man. This guy knows his stuff, all right? <laughs> uh, by the way, this is Harold Washington, ladies and gentlemen. Greatest mayor city Chicago ever had. Right Shout here. out to Hector for that, by the way. Hector, you're awesome. He sent that to us. That's a 3D print. Ben, put it, like, right into the camera. Like, I mean, like, get up out of your chair and, like, yeah, look at that thing. That's pretty cool, right? Get up. Stand up. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, Harold Washington. Greatest mayor city Chicago ever had. Anyway, what you got for me, D? I know you got some news. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. It's time for the news. By the way, never do the Donald Trump impression <laughs> ever again. <laughs> Elda weighed in. She said, good Lord, that's awful. <laughs> Sorry. How about Mike Clinton? Give me some love. How about the... Uh, you, uh, Dennis, I like Dennis. I tell you what, if this were a podcast <laughs> in 1995, boy, that'd be awesome. Actually, I'm losing my Clinton. I don't know what that's turning into. Marlon Brando. Hey, Dennis, I like you, Dennis. Here, a good guy, Dennis. Do you know what they call him in Nalton, people? They call him White Lightning. <laughs> Mar Marlon that was ridiculous. All right. Oh, and by the way, hey, everybody, after today's program, we got a special Ben Jarofsky show exclusive for all of you. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be speaking with Dan Savage. Savage Love. Savage Love. Fantastic writer. Uh, we're going to have it as a bonus interview available for download on the weekend, but we're going to do an exclusive. So many people are talking about it. The Chicago Reader posted it. So we're going to do a live stream special after today's show at about 3.30, hopefully 3.30. Just be looking for it on the uh, YouTube channel. Join us, won't you? We're going to Facebook Live it as well, at Benny J Show, and YouTube Live. It's going to oh, be fantastic. Man. So That's radio school, folks. This guy knows his stuff. All right, well, now let's talk about what's going on locally this afternoon. The governor is back in action. Oh. I'm yeah. not a perfect person. Uh, <laughs> Today, yeah. J.B. Pritzker is or was at the Thompson Center to speak at Secretary of State Jesse White, a.k.a. that guy you always see at the DMV. Always a picture of that guy at the DMV. Uh, to speak at Secretary of State Jesse White's Hispanic American Heritage Month celebration. Other than that... Not much uh, else going on with the governor. As for the Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot uh, is at 5370 South Cicero Avenue to cut the ribbon on the new production facility for Farmer's Fridge. Farmer's Fridge is a company that sells salads and other fresh foods through refrigerated vending machines. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I know you're in line getting those three, uh, yeah. those salads. I came up with a slogan for uh, Farmer's Fridge. Oh. Get this. Farmer's Fridge. The name rolls off the tongue, but the food will never touch my mouth. I'm sure that'll sell a lot of salad for them. <laughs> hey, I'm sure it. they're going to be. Hold on, the phone is ringing. What's that you say? Oh, oh, they're sponsors. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, another Lightfoot news. One of her city council members made the headlines today. So yes, people, it is time for another episode of everyone's favorite Chicago political soap opera. It's time for a mayor and her alderman. Oh. A mayor and her alderman. You're doing bass, but playing the air piano. Okay, interesting. We're going to the 10th Ward because today's episode is all about the rock and rolling union. Proud 10th Ward Alderwoman Sue Sedlowski Garza. And in case you didn't know, 10th Ward Alderwoman Sue Sedlowski Garza 
keeps it real. Uh, like, really know, real. You know, I'm a huge fan of Susan Garza. Take her comments at the Chicago Teachers Union rally this week, for example. Garza, Lightfoot's hand-picked chairman of the city council's committee on workforce development, introduced Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders at a CTU rally called to rev up a rank-and-file casting a strike vote. The provocative video circulated on social media shows Garza stepping up to the podium and promptly using profanity. Here's the quote from Garza. That's right, MRFer. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> That's right, what? MRFer. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Are you reading the paper while I'm reading I'm the news? I'm trying to find it how they handle it in the paper. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, just uh, listen go. to this. I'm about to tell you. Yeah. All right. That's right, MRFer. Garza said, raising her fist in the air after being introduced by Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa of the 35th Ward. When Alderman Susan Sadlowski Garza signed on to Mayor Lori Lightfoot City Council leadership team, she did not agree to forfeit her independence or sever her deep roots at the Chicago Teachers Union. This is from Fran the Man Spielman. That much was painfully obviously uh, painfully obvious this week when Garza, Lightfoot's handpicked chairman of the City Council's Committee on Workforce Development, introduced Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders at a CTU rally called to rev up a rank and file while the vote there. And uh, yeah, she said, that's right, MRF. The daughter of longtime steelworkers union president Edward Sedlowski Garza goes on to introduce Sanders as a man who has, quote, fought to give working people a voice and stood in solidarity with ordinary Americans across this country to build a fairer and more just society. Garza's quote continued, quote, he's never wavered. The fact that he's standing with us today shows his deep commitment to the men and women who need him the most, the working class. On Wednesday, Garza acknowledged she, quote, got carried away when introducing Sanders and probably should not have used profanity. We have the apology from Sue Garza. And hey, politicians, take notes. Here's how you do this, by the way, while keeping your dignity and not selling anybody out. All right. Garza does this perfectly. Quote, it wasn't appropriate, but I'm not going to say I regret it. I was at CTU. That's my place. That's my house. That's where I got my fighting chops. Well, I got my fighting chops from my dad, but it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, Garza said. Should I have said it? No, probably not. But the moment was right. The energy was there, and that's what came out. I don't have anything to apologize for. My allegiance with the teachers, my allegiance is with the teachers always. I spent 23 years of my life inside of a classroom accounting for 894 students and me with no help. Of course, I support the teachers. I support the mayor as well in this issue. They both have to come to a compromise. If people, uh, if both people leave the table unhappy, then you did something right. Wow. All right. There's a lot there. Uh, is there anything more there? That's that's the, the full, uh, that's the extent of it. Let's just start with a, a little uh, aside. Let's just start with a tangential thing. Uh, the use of profanity uh, in our day and age. It's um, always one of my favorite little topics. It has nothing to do with politics. But wherever I go, D, people, and I'm just having normal routine conversations in the everyday life, on the subway, uh, walking through the loop, in a restaurant, in a building, wherever, somebody is going to drop the F-bomb, okay? People do it all the time as a routine, have at the dinner table, at Thanksgiving, at Christmas time. And, and yet, many of us of the baby boomer persuasion uh, are still, we still know it's wrong. There's something wrong about it. So it's like when you see it in the Sun-Times, that's why I was asking, I was looking to see how the paper handled it. And the way the paper wrote it was, here we go, where is it? That's right, mother F-er. So it's like, 
once had fun with this because there was a manager of the Chicago White Sox, Ozzie Guillen, who was always dropping the F-bomb. And the Sun-Times would quote him. and they, But they didn't even do the, in those days, they wouldn't even do the mother F-er part, okay? So it would be M and then. You're making me nervous. These dot, 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 dot. No. Dr. D is a big believer that you should not swear. Now, this is a podcast, so there's different rules that apply than when uh, we're on the radio and we tell our guests, you know, if you swear, you swear. It's a podcast. Uh, but Dr. D goes, you're not swearing. And I've never sworn on this show. Is that correct, Dr. D? I think maybe once or twice. But once or twice. Who's counting? Who's counting? Who's counting? Who's counting? Who's counting? Right. Three times, but who's counting? <laughs> I actually think it was once. But anyway, uh, so. May have been five, but who's counting? So I always have a lot of fun, like, trying to decipher what's the missing part. So in the old days, it was hard. It would be M and then, you know, dot, 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 dot. I'm like, huh, what could that be? And I would ask my friends. I'd call them up. Hey, what do you think that swear word is? Anyway, they're trying to protect us from words that we say all the time, right? Every day someone says this. But it's inappropriate language still. You wouldn't say it in the classroom. You wouldn't say it in front of kids, right, D? Uh, so you probably shouldn't say it at all. You should try to police yourself. On the other hand, she was speaking in a room full of her brothers and sisters from the Chicago Teachers Union, and uh, they were fired up. She was fired up, and like she says, it was old home time for her because, listen, let me tell you something, folks. Sue Garza comes out of the Chicago Teachers Union. She was one of the leaders of the 2012 strike on a local level. Everybody talks about the 2012 teacher strike in terms of Karen Lewis, and yes, Karen Lewis was the face of the strike, and in many ways she was the brains of the strike, but on a local level at schools throughout the city, they had uh, people who were out front organizing the teachers in every school, making sure the signs got where they had to be, and Sue Garza was, this is before she ran for alderman, and she used the uh, momentum from the 2012 strike as impetus to run for alderman in 2015, and she edged out. She eked out a victory over John Pope, who is Mayor Rahm's guy. It was a very contentious race, came down to a handful of votes. So she appreciates the, the, the support she got from the teachers union. She was a school counselor for 20 odd years, 20 plus years on the Southeast side of Chicago in the same school where she went to school, where her kids went to school, right down the street from where she grew up. Her father was a labor leader. That's where she comes from. So when she's in a union hall, you know, it's just a different setting. It's not like you're in a classroom. It's not like you're in the editorial boardroom of a downtown newspaper. It's more like you're in Wayne's World Existence of the Ben Jarofsky studio, and it's a podcast. Ah, swing. Yeah, and um, who's known to swear when they come on our show? Maya? Oh, the, the champion is uh, Adolfo, Adolfo Eldragon oh. comes in and he drops them left oh, and yeah. right. But everybody uh, drops a few here and there. Only me. I'm the only one who doesn't because the doctor's hanging over me. <laughs> okay, I won't do it. Anyway, so it was it was funny. She goes, uh, it wasn't appropriate, but I'm not going to apologize, which is, I, I mean, it's it, it was appropriate for the setting, right? I mean, you're in a union hall. What, yeah. If you're going to swear, that would be where you swear. So I don't really know what you could say. You could say, I was in a union hall. It'd be like all of a sudden if a manager or a coach of a football team uh, was filmed dropping the F-bomb and talking to his team after a big victory. What, what would he say? It wasn't appropriate? No, you, you're in a locker room. That's how coaches talk to their players. Yeah. So I'm like, where would it be appropriate if not in a union hall? It, 
listen, if that's who you are, that's who you are. If that's how you talk, if that's, if that's where you come from when you're all fired up, then that's where you come from. That's who you are. That's you're being yourself. So I don't think she has, I don't think she has anything to apologize for, but what she's doing in the sentence is recognizing that there are some people who are offended by it. It's like such language. It's like that gray area, you know. I think she handled it pretty well, you know. Uh, she just went up and said, "Hey, I'm not apologizing. Screw you. I don't care about it." You know. Yeah, that'd exactly. That would have been horrible. Yeah, that would. I don't know about horrible, but, but yeah, but you know, uh, acknowledging that what happened and then saying, "I'm not apologizing I, for it." Listen, I she I, got caught up in the moment. She got caught up in the moment. Now, who are you? you you're just kind of imitating someone right there. Got caught up. That's your uh, Barack Obama. Just a touch of Barack Obama. I got caught up in the moment. Anyway, um, so. I applaud her for standing with the teachers. Uh, the line that she had at the end, I support, I support. Now, here's where she's trying to, uh, you know, not offend Lori Lightfoot because uh, in addition to being a, uh, a former grammar school counselor, in addition to being a former Chicago Teacher Union representative, in addition to being a leader in the 2012 teacher strike, she is an ally of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot is in the midst of negotiations with the same Chicago Teacher Union that invited her to speak at their rally. Okay? And so what she's really in the, the, the in trouble for is potentially upsetting Lori Lightfoot. And as we know, Dennis, Lori Lightfoot has a reputation for having bit of a thin skin and holding it against people if they say something uh that she doesn't like and so uh so she i think that uh, what sue garza had to do was try to make things up with Lori lightfoot so she says i support the mayor as well in this issue they both have to come to a compromise if both people leave the table unhappy then you did something right so that's her way of saying i support the teacher's right to strike and I support the mayor's right to not give them the things to keep them from striking, which, okay, <laughs> that's pretty good, Sue Garza. Uh, so, you know, listen, it's a tough situation. I have friends who work for Lori Lightfoot. They call me, they text me, they tell me all sorts of mean, nasty things about the Chicago Teachers Union. On the other hand, my mother was a Chicago teacher for many years. She was a leader back in the day of her school. And she went on the strike, I think, nine times or so. And I believe that the, um, I believe we should be putting our money up front in our schools and we should not be spending our money on other things like a TIF deal in Lincoln Yards. And so if we don't have money to uh, hire, to guarantee and put into the union contract nurses and social workers that help kids directly in a classroom. Uh, if we don't have that money, then we should take it out of the Lincoln Yards money. We shouldn't spend money on frivolous things when we have really important matters that have to be addressed. So while I have friends in the Lori Lightfoot administration, I do think that Lori Lightfoot should put those jobs in the contracts. That's where I stand on that one. She obviously, Lori Lightfoot, is not as, what, nasty and mean as Rom. Uh, she's not inflaming the situation the way Rom did, and she's trying to be compromising, at least publicly, like Rom did. So I think that's an improvement there in, the, in and of itself, but there's an issue there about jobs. It's the same issue, D, we were talking about with the nurses yesterday. There's an issue about nurses at the University of Chicago Hospital. Are they going to hire the nurses they need so that nurses aren't continually working overtime? And you, you got to put the patients first. Uh, and so it's a similar thing with the, the kids in the classroom. If we have money 
for gentrifying neighborhoods, for upscale developments in gentrifying neighborhoods, then we should find the money for librarians, nurses, and social workers. And I don't know if it's good enough just to say, well, we put them in this year's contract, you know, so be happy. Or when we put it in this year's budget, budgets are constantly rewritten. People are always being laid off. So we either make a commitment or we don't make a commitment. Anyway, so it's a tough situation for a lot of people. Sukars is in the middle of it. On uh, one hand, she's an ally of Lori Lightfoot. And on the other hand, she is a, a the daughter of one of the great union leaders in Chicago. And she herself was a leader of the 2012 teacher strike. So, Sue, things can get tough every now and then. But uh, I do, I do appreci- appreciate the fact that you, uh, even with your alliance to Lori Lightfoot, you still went down to that teacher's union and uh, appeared at that rally. All right, so to kind of put it all into perspective here, Sue Garza said, that's right, Emma Reffer, during her intro to Bernie Sanders. Hey, if it means anything, uh, she's a mother herself, so she really isn't offending mothers, I guess. But as Fran Spielman puts it, uh, the question is now whether, as Ben was saying here, the new mayor will tolerate a key member of her leadership team openly advocating a teacher strike that Lightfoot is trying so desperately to avoid. What will happen next week? I guess we'll have to find out because it's the ongoing saga of a mayor and her alderman. To be continued. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, not now, but later, we had Ray Lopez in the studio. When was that, Tuesday? God, things have happened so quickly, right? Tuesday seems like five years ago. Ray Lopez, the alderman of the 15th Ward. Uh, And you talk about an alderman who really is on the outs with Lori Lightfoot. It would be Ray Lopez. Uh, And it's an interesting thing here, D, the difference between Ray Ray Lopez and Sue Garza. Sue Garza is just out there progressive. Uh, no bones about it, supporting Bernie Sanders. Uh, and she was really there to introduce Bernie Sanders uh, and stand with teachers. Uh, Ray Lopez is a lot more cautious on issues, on, on uh, so progressive issues. He's very reluctant. Remember, he was very reluctant to uh, sign on to uh, progressive taxes, higher taxes on wealthier people. He was saying, well, Ben, maybe, maybe that's not fair to the wealthy people. Uh, so he's, he's, uh, he's not challenging the status quo on issues of taxation and then progressive issues that the Bernie Sanders crowd would love. On the other hand, he is challenging the mayor and some basic things like transparency, open government. He's taking that role. Uh, so it's very interesting to see how this is falling out, how Ray uh, Lopez is sort of evolving as a alderman. You know, he wasn't that open uh, in confronting Mayor Rahm. He wasn't that outspoken in confronting Mayor Rahm. He did have a couple moments uh, where he did uh, dare to disagree with the mayor. So he wasn't as compliant as all of them, but he's sort of evolving. You talk about a mayor and her alderman. Uh, he, I'm watching him evolve into becoming more of a good government, I have that in quotes, uh, Alderman, as opposed to Sue Garza, who is trying to remain a member of the mayor's team while at the same time standing true uh, to her progressive values. So it's really interesting, D, to watch how these aldermen try to make their way through these trying times, these new times, I should say, with Lori Lightfoot uh, at the helm as opposed to Rahm at the helm. All right, coming up in moments, everybody, our good friend Miles Conflassen will be returning. He's going to be talking... Uh Whatever's going on in his world these days. Oh, my God. Trump, Trump, Trump. Chicken sandwiches. Chicken sandwiches. And he was there uh, Tuesday with the Bernie Sanders rally. So he'll be giving us updates about that. By the way, our friend Michelle weighed in on the Facebook page. You can watch us live on uh, Facebook. If if you download the show, you can do that, by the way, at Benny J Show. All right. Michelle says uh, Trump would be a Chick-fil-A man for sure. (laughs) They uh, donated big bucks to his campaign. 
And good the, point. Uh, the sandwich is pretty good, too, so he probably would be a Chick-fil-A man. All right, and uh, while we wait for Miles, how about that appearance from Rahm Emanuel on WTTW last night, Ben? What did you think? What'd you th- did you watch it? No. Oh, I don't mi- worry. You're in luck. We okay. have the whole entire interview right here. Good. Let's just play it and see how far we can go. Ben, feel free to interrupt and uh, riff on it. I'm sure you will. To Chicago tonight. Appreciate oh, by the way, he's know. talking about Trump's uh, the impeachment inquiry. Oh, here we go. Phil Ponce. First of all, do you support the impeachment inquiry? Yes. Why is that? Well, you have a, first of all, unlike everything prior to this, this is an act in the White House. If you go back to the Mueller report, it's about a presidential campaign and things that happened there. This is about something he did in the presidency. And using, obviously, our foreign relations, our national security, with a key uh, country in the area of, obviously, Eastern Europe, and he was doing it for his personal uh, gain being the presidential. And therefore, there's a lot of it's in it. Remember, it's not so much the impeachment that I support. It's the impeachment inquiry <laughs> and to see whether what happened here uh, warrants some other further action by yeah. the United States House of Senate, a House of Representatives, and then the Senate. So okay. up until this. All right, let's just. <laughs> you know, it's all, that's really funny, man. He's like, uh, it's just the inquiry. All right. Uh, just taking it slow. All right. You know, listen. I appreciate Nancy Pelosi and the role she is. Everybody knows I love Nancy Pelosi. uh, And she's in a very difficult position because she has to be the leader of the House, uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives. She has a lot of different factions uh, that she has to sort of satisfy. She doesn't want to expose some of the moderates. We've talked about this so many times. uh, And uh, she also has a very uh, vocal and outspoken group of progressives uh in the uh in the congress so miles may disagree with me just walked in what would be interesting but to say i've always uh, been very uh appreciative of the, of the difficulty of the job that nancy pelosi has rom acts like he is nancy pelosi okay rom you're not the speaker of the house all right you're the ex-mayor of the city of chicago just last week you're on tv advocating that the democrats ignore their base and just take them for granted and just concentrate on swing voters. And you're still playing that card. It's like, well, you know, I have to lay all the facts are in. Oh, you know, you have to see more information before we uh, say uh, yes to impeachment. But uh, yes, I've seen enough for an inquiry. Oh, what a brave stance by Mayor Rahm. I'll oh, tell you, he's really going out on the limb. Plenty more where that came from. First of all, unlike everything prior to this, this is an act in the White House. Oh, oh yeah, Ben's uh, ready go. to riff. We're gonna we're gonna be playing that a little more uh, on today's program, but don't go anywhere. Miles Conflassen will be up next. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun Times. This is an awfully big body of water. We're looking for a needle in a haystack. And we're talking about a needle that moves constantly. He's checked the floating traps he hand curated. Right now is a combination of drumsticks, rats, and uh, smelt. Yum. Well, as far as the gator goes, that's a pretty good offering. We're hoping that the, the wind blowing the scent across the water will catch his attention. 
we're all speculating on on whether he grew up in somebody's you know bathtub or backyard or something. He's enjoying the, the five feet of water. He probably was raised in six inches. If we could find the animal, we can capture the animal. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Take it away, Benny J. Miles Complesson in the studio in these times. Star journalist, also Jack of Benny, writes for Jackman as well. Comes here every Thursday. Miles, uh, we've been in the studio. I've been away from everything is breaking so fast. So why don't you just start by giving us an update? We'll start with, we'll get to uh, Sue Garza, the teachers union and the labor negotiations, et cetera, here in the city of Chicago. But let's talk about what's been breaking on uh, whistleblower gate. Uh, Donald Trump and his uh, very interesting phone call with uh, the president of Ukraine. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. Zelensky gate. We got to figure out a gate for this. We got to get a gate for this one. Uh, well, uh, there's been a lot of comparisons, obviously, to the um, the Watergate case and whether this is kind of a smoking gun. Um, I will say the what has happened that I've been following over just in the uh, past few hours is that uh, notes came out from a secret meeting that Trump had or a private meeting Trump had in which he uh, went went to town on really going after this whistleblower and uh, intimated, as he often does, that whistleblowers should be killed potentially he said you know you know what he said what he said is this was potentially an act of treason he called it basically a spy what the this whistleblower has done um and he as he's you know want to do he said you know what we used to do to those kind of guys back in the day you know one of his throwbacks to the old days which is uh terrifying in a lot of ways you know that this is how this president approaches uh accountability and trying to get to the truth. The other thing that happened is at the same time that this uh, secret meeting was happening, Joseph McGuire, who's the acting director of national intelligence right now, he defended the whistleblower um, publicly and, and talked about why this is, you know, an important thing for to, for it to come out. I assume your listeners have a general sense of the, you know, kind of the um, outlines of this whole story. Basically, Zelensky, the president, and uh, Trump had a phone call back in July after Zelensky's victory, and Trump 
essentially asked for a favor openly in the transcripts. It actually wasn't a transcript that came out. You know, this is kind of a modified version of the call. Uh, and the call itself got put into this kind of secret trove where apparently there's other conversations, too, that were hidden from the normal process that the uh, White House has for storing these conversations. Um, and clearly, from based on what's in that uh, transcript, there's nothing about national security intelligence that would make it top secret, you know, need to be hidden away. So it had much more to do with the political sensitivity of the discussion because Trump basically asked for the uh, president of Ukraine to look into one of his political rivals, Joe Biden. And that's why the whistleblower put out that um, that memo. Yeah, everything about this is is bizarre. Uh, and it really makes me wish uh, Miss George Carlin, because he would have a field day with this stuff. Just think about this. There's a converse. It's a transcript, but it's not a real transcript. And yesterday when the story was breaking, uh, I remember Monroe Anderson was here. He was trying to explain what the difference between a transcript and a real transcript is. Now, when I read this thing, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again, uh, and I've been obsessively reading. I love, real or not, I love this transcript. It sounds like Donald Trump. It has it, it, it has the inflections that Donald Trump, the repetition of certain words, like he says, this is good, this is good, this that would be bad, this is good. So it's if it's not a transcript, it's pretty damn close uh, to a transcript. But already, it's almost, almost like Miles are distancing themselves from the White House. Like, well, it, there may be, and the Republicans pick up on this. They go, well, you know, it's <laughs> it's not the official. We haven't seen what really was said. Do you get what I'm saying? So, well, and, you know, what happened is that they, when they released, you probably saw this yesterday in a huge screw up, the, the White House released their talking points to the Democratic caucus that they were supposed to send to their Republican um, kind of supporters. <laughs> I that. Yeah. So, so, and it laid out all of their ways that they were going to defend this transcript and say, basically, you know, it's a nothing burger. This doesn't really mean anything. And it's funny is that Trump, you know, what Trump said about it is this was a perfect conversation. That yes. was his words. And I think what he meant by, I mean, personally, I think that he, of course he thinks it was a perfect conversation because if you read any of it, you know, it's just the kind of backslapping, uh, lifting Trump up and calling him, you know, an incredible leader. And Zelensky says, you know, he uh, took, uh, advice from Trump's campaign and how he ran and everything. So sounds great for that. But also Trump, you know, he went into some of the most really vile and absurd conspiracy theories that exist out there. This whole crowd strike thing, you know, it's this belief that Trump continues to have, which some of the fringes of the alt-right continue to have, which is that, um, that the actual uh, hacking of the DNC was kind of a false flag and that was done through Ukrainian servers and it had nothing to do with uh, the Republicans colluding, or the yeah, the Repub Republicans or the Trump campaign colluding with Russia, but rather had to do with Ukraine and the DNC putting out these kind of false files so that they could start this whole uh, uh, special counsel inquiry by Robert Mueller, which is what it all comes back to. So that's the first thing that Trump asked for in this. Uh, you know, we asked for a favor essentially for this four hundred million dollars in support that the U.S. was going to give the Ukraine. Um, the first thing he asked for was them to look into that because Trump still believes that there's no evidence that there's anything like this actually happened, of course, but yeah, Trump's holding on, you know, that's yeah. the kind of guy he is. And then he asks, of course, for dirt on um, Biden and Biden's son, which is what how Trump has basically conducted his office is like, you know, these deals to get dirt, you know, he's not talking nowhere in that conversation. Is there anything about U.S. policy, about, you know, our interests, about trying to conduct an actual diplomatic call? It's all you know, you give me this, I'll give you this kind of thing. Um, but the reason I think Trump said it was perfect is because there wasn't the explicit 
quid pro quo, you know, as if when people talk on the phone, they say, you know, hey, I'll give you this, you give me that. You know, Trump's kind of an old mobster style guy. You know, he knows how to get around and use enough vagueness in his language to get his message across clearly while at, without exactly saying it. So that's why I think Trump said it was a, a perfect call. Well, and following up on that, there's so many things that you said that I want to follow up on. I'll just follow up with that last one first. I have already had fun make, with the making fun of the Chicago Tribune editorial, and I know what you're going to say. Ben, why do you read it? Every lefty always comes in, oh, I can't believe you read that thing. Well, at least like what the other side is saying, right? That's why I do it so you don't have to do it, all right? Appreciate so, it. Uh, <laughs> So their their uh, their takeaway. This is the 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 best brains that the the right has. Okay, I'm just the finest brains that the right wing has. Uh, their takeaway is that it was wrong. Okay, it was wrong. Uh, I pointed out that if I said two plus two is five, that would be wrong. But this is a little beyond wrong. Uh, and they said, but they made that point. There is no explicit quid pro quo. And I got a kick out of them saying, like, could you imagine? If, Michael Madigan had made a similar phone call, uh, the outrage that would be coming from the Tribune uh, editorial board. But the point is, um, you're right. Every mobster movie I've ever seen, every like the, the Sopranos, The Godfather, the mobster never says, you know, um, here's what I want you to do. I'll give you that $450 million if you, you know, uh, dig up dirt on Joe Biden. What they What they say is, Hey, you know, I'm going to do a mobster rotation, <laughs> but uh, you got a nice kid. Your kid looks nice. Yeah. You got a nice home. Yeah. I, we, I, I just, here's a picture of your home. Yeah. You know, here's a, you know what I'm saying? And uh, oh, by the way, uh, I got a favor I need. Oh, by the way, they show you this picture of my, your home. So, or like that thing, you know, I need you to do that. Thing. Yeah. I need that you to do stuff. that thing. And so it's, it's, it's amazing how we're, we're breaking out in, in, in the country takes on these certain roles I'm, I'm seeing this so like uh, right-wing outfits like the tribune or right of center or whatever they are uh feel compelled to hold back and almost act like defense attorneys do you follow what i'm saying yeah. i don't know what it is that they need before they say well it's wrong you know what i mean beyond what they have now do you get what i'm saying well i think that the the question to me is not whether this is in itself an impeachable offense, because I think it's quite clear that this is, you know, extension of a series of crimes and misdeeds by this administration and by this president in particular. What this, <clears throat> I think, opens the door to, <clears throat> excuse me, is the um, is the connection to Watergate, is the sense that there is potentially... <clears throat> Do you need some water? I'm okay. You all right? Thanks. Uh, it's the it's the connection that this could actually open up a whole new trove of documents because before you know the, the connection is that in during Watergate you know what, what was really revealed was that there was a whole Nixon had taped all of these conversations in the White House and that they uh, you know prosecutors the the um, Congress didn't know about any of these tapes we don't we we haven't known that there's this whole potentially trove of secret conversations that have been stored in a different way because of political sensitivity now that the door is open to that we could you know find out even more of these types of conversations what um you know people that are more protective of the president might say is that there was nothing there was no exact quid pro, quid pro quo we also don't know whether um there even was an investigation of biden's son that resulted from this we don't know um, whether Giuliani and Barr were actually involved. I mean, that's what's intimated in the calls. Trump says, you know, I'm going to have 
Bill Barr, give you a call. I'm going to have Mr. Giuliani. <laughs> you know, Rudy Giuliani's role in this is really incredible because he's the president's personal lawyer. He's not a head of state. He's not, you know, part of the federal government in any way. And yet he's conducting this business, but it's basically, it's classic mobster stuff. He's going, and he said this back, you know, a year ago, Giuliani said, I'm going to uh, go to Ukraine and find out dirt on Biden's yeah. son. He basically gave the reveal ahead of time. And now that it's coming out that he was intimately involved in this, you know, there's a famous Chris Cuomo interview on CNN a few days ago where Giuliani said, oh, I didn't ask about Biden. And then he said, of course I asked about Biden. You know, it's this back and forth where he's re re realizing like, oh, we just need to own this and say it doesn't mean anything, you know, jump on top of it and really wrap our arms around the fact that this is just how this administration operates and this is what the government does now yeah. basically is is operates in the open as a you know dirt finding operation with Giuliani as the henchman as a as a personal lawyer so he's been very uh, involved in it I, I think it's very revealing that right after the transcript was released yesterday that Barr put out a letter saying I know nothing about this I had nothing to do with it he's clearly <laughs> yeah. trying to wash his hands of yeah. it and not be involved in it the other question is you know what Giuliani said is the State Department sent me there that I was doing this on orders from Mike Pompeo from the State Department we don't know whether that's true or not there's so many questions that we don't know um, the answer to when it comes to and every day you know every hour we're, we're, we're finding out um, new stuff. So I think that it's important for people to see that, that, you know, when you focus specifically on whether there's a quid pro quo or not, that's not really the question I look at. It's whether this is something that can potentially get more and more people on board with a, with an inquiry. And I'll, the last thing I'll say on that is that just today it was announced that majority of Democrats in the House now support some form of uh, impeachment. So finally, yeah. well, Rahm, Mayor Rahm, uh, we played this as you were coming in. He was speaking last night at Chicago tonight uh, to Phil Ponce. Uh, he said that, yes, he, he even Mayor Rahm, Mr. I love uh, Republicans, uh, is now in favor of an inquiry, just an inquiry. Okay, it's like the Tribune. Well, what I heard may be wrong could be wrong we need to hear more which is uh well that's why i want to say that you know when it comes to my, my concern as uh, somebody who's watched a lot of this stuff unfold mm -hmm. is that um what when i see nancy pelosi say we want to have a very limited and targeted and concerted you know focus on this ukraine call uh, and John Tester went on uh, MSNBC and said the same thing yesterday. He's a moderate Democrat. Senator from Sem that. Senator. Um, the, what that does, what the message that that sends to me is like, oh, everything before, you know, we it, we can't touch that stuff. To me, you know, and especially if we look back on Watergate, when the, the inquiry into Nixon was not just about the break. In fact, what came out, the reason that Nixon resigned is what came out of the investigation once after the impeachment started. It wasn't the, you know, what got the impeachment inquiry going in the first place. It's that there was discovery and yeah. there was information that came out of it. And so if you limit it to just this phone call, I don't think you're going to, in the initial, you know, order of priorities when they, they they talked about the Christmas bombing of Vietnam and the in the orders against Nixon. So I think you got to look at the, the the multitude of crimes that this president has been involved in. Let's put it this way. Uh, obsessive geeks, political geeks like you and me and the people who listen to this show and there's some right wingers listen to this show too because they're obsessive political geeks and they have the same curiosity with the left's talking about like that's why I read Chicago Tribune editorials. So obsessive geeks like us, we will care. And we will go for it. But I think that strategists like Nancy Pelosi, uh, Rom to a degree, although I put him off to the side because he's always making wheeling and dealing. He, it's hard to s uh, separate his personal needs and considerations from what's right for the, what he thinks is right for the Democratic Party. But 
Nancy Pelosi, they're doing something very specific. They have a, they're trying to win over an audience that really isn't paying attention to all this stuff in any way. And I got to tell you, I'll give you an example of this, Miles. I was thinking the other day, I was coming home. I forget which day it was. Maybe I've lost track of time, but so much is happening. I was driving a car, and I'm listening to this uh, oldies radio show, which I'm making fun of myself for listening to. And they had news on. They didn't even, the news that they gave, the snippet they gave about the breakout of the, of the, um, whistleblowers accusations the the story had hit that uh, already that donald trump um had conceded i think they re- released the, f- the transcript of what the whatever they call it yeah. uh and uh their response was strictly donald trump's response so all they said was hoax wi- donald trump says it's a hoax and it's a witch hunt and it's more of the same that's the me- i was like that's the message that's what you're telling people we have this transcript of donald trump on the phone cutting a deal extorting uh the president of ukraine blatantly doing it and this is what you have so this is why i'm saying i feel that there's two issues here there's one there's people like you and me we want to know everything you're absolutely correct watergate goes way beyond the break-in the way you're talking about going into daniel ellsberg's psychiatrist's office you're talking about spying on Muskie. you're talking about dirty tricks etc and so forth but they have they keep it really tightly focused because they have to prove a case they and they they just want to keep people so they know attention is limited you get what i'm saying and so that's why they focus on that i understand that i do think that there's you know value in using this as a clarifying moment because every single day we are bombarded with new revelations about uh, misdeeds in our government and we are you know we have to interpret that and it's very difficult for the public to latch on to one story i think that's part of the reason you know we've talked about this that the the russia case was so uh took up so much space while there were so many other issues going on under our government you know people focused you know pretty dead set on russia the issue is now there's not a special counsel you know robert Mueller's uh, investigation is done when nixon you know went down it had to do with there being a special counsel that was looking into it there's there that doesn't exist right now so it needs to be done through the um democratic majority in the house of representatives and nancy pelosi has to lead that so i would just hope that there's you know investigation i know there's been other investigations into some misdeeds but when we look at what donald trump has done it's if, if there was ever a threat to our constitution it is the anti-democratic practices of this president, whether it's the violations, of the emoluments clause through all of it, you know, people donating Mar-a-Lago, people donating to uh, staying at the Trump hotels, all these foreign dignitaries, foreign leaders. Um, there's also all these, you know, he's asked for loyalty oaths from his uh, uh, from his underlings. He's tried to launch criminal probes into all of his political enemies. He's, you know, tried to ban entry of Muslims into this country. Um, and of course, he's attacked the press as the enemy of the people. What he actually said today in the secret meeting, apparently, was that uh, the press are scum and animals. You know, he's just doubling down on all of his attacks on the basic foundations of our democracy. So I think that that has to be taken into consideration. It's not just this, um, you know, twist in the arms of a foreign leader. And when we think about it, too, it's not just that he was doing it to spread some money. The, we're, the, the deal was to get uh, U.S. anti-tank missiles um to help fight russian-backed uh separatists and this is you know what the the level of which we're and in, in, in you know as a um 
way to get that information. And on Biden's son, he's holding up weapons of war essentially to the Ukraine. So this does, it's, it's very uh, important stuff. It's not just mobster talk as we, you know, uh, there's real consequences, about. It's real consequences. Yeah. And it's the, you know, this is how uh, the head of our federal government is operating. This is how the commander in chief is, you know, comporting himself. That should trouble anybody. It doesn't yeah. matter what party you're in. I, I agree. That's why I'm making fun of all the Republicans and the Republican outlets uh, that are trying to find ways to weasel out of it. And then the counterattack will come. Uh, but before we get into the that secret meeting, which you've alluded to, that Trump had, which is news to me, and I'd love to hear more about it. It's I, more of a private meeting. I, should, I don't, you okay, know. Okay, private meeting. Yeah. All right, all right. All right, before we get into that, I, there's something I want to bring up with you. I've, I've been having great fun with this all day, and probably yesterday, too, as well. Uh, Donald Trump was clearly obsessed with Joe Biden. And he has shown that throughout uh, this the run-up to uh, the 2020 election. He's obsessed with Joe Biden. And I, the reason I have fun with that, uh, Miles, is that I have so many people of the lefty persuasion come on this show, and not a one of them has anything nice to say about Joe <laughs> They're always trashing Joe Biden. I, can't, I have a hard time finding anybody. You know, the joke is that even Democrats who like Joe Biden, they drop their voice when they mention his name. They're like, well, I'm for, I'm for Biden. You know, like, yeah, say it loud. I always tease him. Come on, that's your guy. You love him. And... And yet Trump's obsessed with Joe Biden. Please talk about this a little bit. The difference between the Democratic attitude uh, toward Joe Biden and Donald Trump's attitude toward uh, Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden sees, uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump as his enemy and vice versa. And that is, I think, what is playing out. Essentially, I'm sure there was calculations done in the White House in which they saw the Biden as the biggest threat, not necessarily electorally, but because he's has a commanding position in the polls. He's heir to, you know, the Barack Obama legacy. And um, he's uh, has this clear um, vulnerability regarding his son and his role in the Ukraine. We don't know all the details about it. You know, there's talk about Joe Biden got this uh, prosecutor fired in the Ukraine to drop charges against his son. Obviously, you know, his son was involved in this company after getting kicked out of the Navy over drugs. And that's the you know background of some of the uh, Hunter Biden story. Um, so it's kind of got, you know, on its face of it, it, it seems like this is exactly the type of Clinton-esque scandal that Donald Trump would try to capitalize on. And obviously Biden is, whether or not he's the nominee, he is one of the most well-known Democrats in the country. He's a, uh, you know, the face of, for so many people, he's the face of kind of the resistance to Donald Trump. Uh, in this meeting, again, just alluding to it, from what I saw from the reporting, he, Donald Trump went on a screed against Biden today, calling him, you know, Sleepy Joe and saying he's kooked out of his mind and everything. I think that's a good sign of the type of attacks we will see if Joe Biden does emerge. Um, well, you can't be Sleepy Joe and Crooked Joe at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I mean, come on. At least, Donnie, get your message straight. Because remember, he can't be up to no good in the Ukraine wheeling and dealing and be sleepy. Yeah. I mean, that, that requires a certain cunning. And uh, But uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, so I think that that's why I don't think that, you know, I think that the critiques, my critiques of Joe Biden have nothing to do with his son or his, you know, involvement in the Ukraine. It has to do with his record and his vision for the Democratic Party, which is very different. You know, that's why there's a primary contest to have a battle of ideas and i think that's what we should focus on but i think it's it is it is uh, instructive that this is the thing that is you know so many democrats are latching on to well i gotta tell you this uh i think i i really do i do believe uh joe biden really got under trump's skin when he said i'll take him out in the back and whoop him 
I'm telling you right now, Donald Trump's got this thing about his manhood and how tough he is. Uh, and his he's hands. Op- his hands. He's got these weird hang-ups. And uh, when Joe Biden called him out that way, which was ridiculous, they're two 70-something-year-old men. They probably haven't had a fight in their whole life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I look at Donnie Trump, I go, that guy is, you know, he's... He's not he's, in fighting Yeah, he's not right in now. fighting shit. Mike Tyson's got nothing to worry about yeah, yeah. Donnie Trump. Yeah. And, but when, when Trump... Biden talked that language that Trump talks, and that really got to Trump. And so ever since then, he's just... Uh, I think there's some truth to that. That said, I mean, I think that, the, you know, these conversations were had back in July. This has been like a long-running um, obsession of much of the right is to, to, to find out as much dirt as possible. And this is what Trump's campaign yeah. operation is for 2020. It's just going to be digging up dirt and trying to, you know, disparage his opponents. There's not going to be any vision of what you know the next four years of a trump presidency will look like no positive it's going to be more you know he'll probably bring bannon back in and have some more american carnage speeches and things like that i mean that's the way that this president is approaching politics it's not has has nothing to do with a fight for um a vision or a future that will be better for the residents no he's clearly uh he's clearly made himself out to be a symbol uh, for everybody who despises just the, the, the symbol of the Democratic yeah. Party. And so any attack on him is attack on the people who support him. That's how this is being played out. And uh, so, like, for instance, I, I, uh, when you read right-wingers, uh, they essentially, they cannot begin to address the issues of what Trump has specifically done. They have to immediately attack the, de- the left. They have to go after the left because they hate the left so much. You follow what I'm saying there? So, yeah, that is clearly what the strategy, the political strategy is uh, for Trump. I also think that there's a matter of, you know, one of the reasons Democrats are scared and, uh, you know, and have been timid about this, especially moderate Democrats, is for one, how it plays right now amongst the public. And I think that's one of the reasons for this laser focus on the Ukraine story is because they're starting to see people tune in and, you know, start to care about this and start to wonder whether this is, you know, a sign that this president is actually, you know, unfit for office, finally. Um, And some of these moderate Democrats are coming on board, too. And so that's, you know, giving the Democrats a little bit more Democratic leadership, like Pelosi, a little bit more freedom to push forward this inquiry. But there's, you know, the fear that right, you know, in 98, after uh, Bill Clinton was impeached by the House, his popularity soared, you know, people, um, it it changed the political dynamics on the ground, and it was not in the in the favor of Republicans. That said, it also did open up, you know, uh, critiques of the Clinton uh, family that kept going up until 2016. So it's, I I don't think I I lived through that phase. And I remember it very clearly, uh, the impact it had. I, I, many people say that. They go, oh, well, his popularity soared. And I remember both things. When Don, uh, Bill Clinton was under attack by the Republicans for something far, uh, we, we can all say, uh, more frivolous than this, yeah. uh, when he was under attack by the Republicans, I can remember my mom, may she rest in peace, was so enraged at the Republicans for going after Clinton. But two years later, in the election cycle, Al Gore, who was running uh, to replace Clinton, uh, was running away from Clinton. He wouldn't have Clinton anywhere near him. He didn't even use Clinton to go down to Arkansas. He lost to Arkansas, Clinton's home state, because he didn't have Clinton going to... And And Florida, too. And Florida. Because they were... So 
I don't fall for that for one minute. You impeach a president, it's serious stuff. You expose all the president's dirty dealings to the country, and, and that has consequences. And we will, and I think we should say, too, in 2018, already the, um, the Republicans who wrapped their arms around Trump lost statewide office, by and large. So it's not as if this is, you know, he's a, he's a popular president or this is, you know, even good for Republicans, let alone moderate Democrats, to, you know, be all up on Trump. All right. Now, before uh, I let you go, let's just shift gears uh, to some local stuff that uh, will help transition to our next guest. Uh, Don Ballard is already in the studio. Let's. You were there Tuesday. I was not there at Chicago Teachers Union headquarters uh, where Bernie Sanders showed up. John Cusack, uh, Dennis's favorite actor, was there as Love well. Love him. <laughs> Say anything? What's the... Yeah, that's the one movie he knew. And no, High Fidelity. High Fidelity. Have it's you ever seen one. High Fidelity? Of course. I Chicago classic. Uh, for 10 trivia points, what song do they close High Fidelity with? Uh, uh, oh, um, it's Stevie Wonder. Nope. Uh, no. Ah. I John, do you know? No? He's panicking. He's under. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. I need some older people in this studio. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye's classic, but sung by Jack Black. That's not how they end the movie, though. That is the that is the per- live performance that Jack Black does during the record release show. Oh. They actually do end the film, I'm pretty sure, with a Stevie Wonder song. Uh, can we look that up in Wait, the meantime? All I can Absolutely. say at that point is, hapata, hapata. <laughs> <laughs> you got to give Miles credit for that one. I'm pretty sure. I've oh, seen it man. quite a few times. Top five, you know? Yeah, uh, top five. Yeah, very funny book, too, as well. All right. Um, so, uh, what's your general report on what well, went down. I, you know, I I don't think there's any, I posted this, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you'll see I posted a video of when he entered the hall, the Bernie. union hall, Bernie did, and uh, not Cusack. Cusack did get some incredible applause. Uh, and actually, during Cusack's speech, he was holding up a poster put out by the Democratic Socialists of America to support the teachers. So maybe, you know, Cusack might be seeing red a little bit. Um, but when Bernie entered, it was, you know, it was like a rock star entered. It, 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 I've never seen a politician enter a union hall to such incredible uh, applause and support. And I think it has to do with the fact that Bernie has really led the way on um, supporting labor struggles throughout this campaign. And really, that's that's one big difference from 2016. It's not as if Bernie has changed his tune. He's been an ally of workers and unions for his entire career, but this this run in 2020, he's really, and this is what I talk about in my piece at In These Times, is that he's really focused on trying to use his campaign as a uh, avenue to help foment a revitalization of the U.S. labor movement and certainly a more militant union uh, movement in the U.S. And that is part and parcel to his whole theory of change, which is that in order to accomplish many of the goals he wants to do on the policy front, whether it's Medicare for all, whether it's, you know, having this expansive labor rights platform that he put out and acted into law, he's going to need uh, grassroots support and he's going to need movements and uh, trade unions to be leading the way. And that's what he talked about. You know, I quote him in the uh, piece from what he said is that for the last 45 years, there's been a war by the corporate elite against the working people in this country, basically, you know, the era of neoliberalism and neoconservatives conservatism, which has been, you know, just wrecking lives for uh, working families while enriching the um, corporate interests and the richest Americans. Um, And the only solution to that is to increase membership in trade unions. When we've seen more equality in our country, when we've seen a more, a better, uh, even distribution of resources and of wealth, it's been when the union movement has been strong and workers have been on the front lines using 
uh, the strike weapon, you know, their most powerful weapon to help bring bosses to heal and say, you know, you, you can't just keep taking while we're uh, giving up more and more. And, you know, you'll see, you know, of course, we have the Sun-Times here saying take the deal for the teachers. Um, what the arguments like that focus on, and which was not very present at the um, um, at the rally was on the economic argument that say, you know, teachers are making a lot of money where, you know, they're getting, they're getting a raise. What the focus of this rally was, and I found pretty incredible was that what Sanders was saying was he was basically just reiterating, reiterating the contract demands of the teachers union saying smaller class sizes saying, you know, we need wraparound services. We need counselors. We need nurses. We need librarians. All of the things that the, uh, are the reason that there's an impasse in contract negotiations right now, one of the uh, leading Democratic contenders for the nomination for 2020 was there, um, you know, on their side, just out speaking out in support of them. And I think that's going to make it a more difficult uh, environment for Lori Lightfoot's bargaining team to, um, to to counteract when you have not only Bernie doing it. So he, you know, announced he was coming. You saw the next day Warren uh, came out with a tweet supporting Chicago teachers. And the next day, Joe Biden did. Yeah. So, you know, the uh, <laughs> you, you have all of the leading 2020 contenders yeah. now saying they support the yeah. Chicago teachers and their contract negotiations. And even Lori had to um, respond to that. And, you know, she said, I stand with working families too. Well, yeah. that's what it comes down to. And that their whole point is put it in writing we need to have this infirm contract language rather than just uh promises no i i hear you and i talked about this already in the show and uh we talked about this yesterday uh in in context of the striking nurses or they're not striking anymore locked out nurses at yeah. the university of chicago don valaro come we'll bring them on we'll talk about a lot of these other labor labor issues but the reality is this it, it, this fight is about more than the money and the, 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 the typical attitude of uh, Chicagoans is so transactional. Take the money, shut up, go away. And the teachers are actually demanding that uh, Lori Lightfoot and the Board of Education uh, put into their contract, bake into their contract, a guarantee of, of certain jobs, which are a lot harder. They say it's in the budget. You can rewrite a budget. You know how budgets go? Don Villar's been around for a while. Oh, well, we have a deficit that takes care of that. Or you can, you don't fill the jobs. Do you follow what I'm saying? You keep the, that's another trick. You put the job in the budget and it's money is allocated for the job and you never fill the job. So you spend the money allocated for the job on paying off the, the loan. Mm -hmm. So these are all kinds of games that uh, people who run governments play. A lot of times they have to, cause they have no choice. Yeah. Uh, so I think the teachers taking a bold stand there, they're really, talking about something be yet if it was just money nickels and dimes i don't think we would be uh at this position no and i think that speaks to the whole you know the the role of core and the caucus of rank and file organizers that's what they've been fighting for for you know since they've been in office in 2010 is a re a different kind of vision of public education in the city well i also like to say be, uh, before i let you go uh one thing i would hope that any democrat who's elected president would help out cities like Chicago. This has been really absent since this great man was mayor of the city of Chicago. Mayor <laughs> I hadn't right. seen that. Harold Washington. Washington. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, Look at that. That's my man, like Harold that. Washington. That's but a 3D he, print. He advocated uh, an urban agenda from Washington for all cities. 
And that's been absent, I think, uh, from the rhetoric of a lot of our major mayors over the years. Uh, and uh, we have the answer to our high fidelity was it, trivia was it, question. I believe when I fall in love, it'll be forever. Well, what was the question again, just to make sure we're all on board, Ben? Uh, well, remember his trivia question. No, my trivia question was, what song did they close the movie with? So that is an ambiguous question. And Ben said it was Jack Black singing Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. And Miles, what do you say? I believe when I fall in love, it'll be forever, Stevie Wonder. All right. There are 57 songs in the movie High Fidelity. <laughs> and, I, you know, I've gotten used to saying this a lot. Ben Jarofsky, you were wrong. Oh. <laughs> the last song was credits. Uh, Number 55, Let's Get It On by Jack Black. Yeah. Number 56, I believe, When I Fall in Love, It Will Be for, uh, Forever, Stevie Wonder. And it says here, Number 57, My Little Red Book by a band Love. Oh, so we're both oh, wrong. I think we are both wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. But we're also both right. Oh, Let's in a lot of ways. Way. We're both right. Wow. Why be both wrong? Why is the glass half empty? Let's make it half full. We were both right. We're both uh, music nerds, apparently. But I give you a lot of credit for knowing that Stevie Wonder song, and I will now, uh, out of respect to absolutely everybody listening, not sing it. Yeah, there uh, we go. That's what we like to hear. Isn't that I right, Robert Mullen? I will. I love that oh, album. We tried. Right. Uh, anyway, Miles, thank you so much. You did a great job, as always. Uh, you could Thanks, read them at In These Times at Jacobin Magazine. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to bring on um, Don Villar from the Chicago Federation of Labor, talk about all the labor situations going on in the city of Chicago. Stick around, everybody. That's correct. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Well, we got to get down to business. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. I tell you, Ben Jarofsky loves that Jeff Manuel. You can book Jeff Manuel, by the way, Jeff Manuel.
pianist.com. Check it out. Hey, Ready Set 2020 podcast fans, the team at the Sun-Times have a new show to add to your listening lineup. It's a brand new podcast here at the Chicago Sun-Times. And this football season, you can get the inside scoop on the Chicago Bears with Hallis Intrigue. It's the latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times. Tune in to hear Sun-Times sports reporters and Bears experts, including Patrick Finley, Mark Potash, and more as they evaluate games, make predictions, provide insights, and analyze the day's big stories. Stay informed this football season. Listen to Hallis Intrigue at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. Once again, suntimes.com forward slash H-A-L-A-S. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Check it out now, suntimes.com forward slash Hallis, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. It is Thursday, September 26th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, Don Villar of the Chicago Federation of Labor will join us, and we welcome community activist Nicole Johnson. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Don Villar is in the studio. Don Villar is in the studio. Miles has left. Nicole's coming in, and uh, Dan Savage is right behind him. We have a busy day today, D. Very busy day at the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, before I bring Don on to do the labor update, man, man, we got a lot on our plate. Uh, a lot of labor to update. Uh, what you got for me, D? Hey, a lot of stuff going on here, people. And also, hey, congratulations, Miles Conflassen. You left the studio without talking about chicken sandwiches. <laughs> That's my oversight. I <laughs> should have asked him for an update on Chicken Gate. We were going like three or four weeks deep there asking about Well, we'll about get him that. next week. All I right? bet he was woke up today. These guys asked me about chicken sandwiches <laughs> one more time. I'm done. <laughs> so you made it out. You made it out, Miles. Congratulations. All right. Uh, hey, but we all, we want to let everybody know about what we got going on here. Quite a few things going on here after today's show. At about 3.30, we're going to try for I got to post today's show. But once we get today's show posted, Dan Savage, Chicago Reader columnist, is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking with him. Uh, that's today at about 3.30. And what we're going to do is we're going to live stream it as well. We're going to throw it up on the YouTube uh, live stream as well as the Facebook live stream at Benny J Show. Go check it out. And uh, we're going to make this a Benny J bonus interview downloadable on Saturday as well. Saturday at about 6 a.m. But it will be available on the Facebook page before then. So go check it out. Dan Savage, join us live, won't you? It's going to be a fantastic time. Also on Friday, we're doing something a little different, all right? If you oh, like yeah. if you <laughs> like news and you this. like trivia... Yeah. 
You should check this out. We're going to try our best to do a news trivia show. Oh, yeah. We're going to recap the weekly uh, the weekly news along with trivia. Because as you know, if you it takes about five minutes to listen uh, to a Ben Jarofsky show to know that this dude loves I just trivia. did it with uh, old boy Miles. Yeah, yes, you did. <laughs> and that's a show that we're going to call for 10 trivia points. <laughs> Friday, find out who's smarter, the Chicago Reader or the Chicago Sun-Times. Showdown, baby. Chicago Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein is going one-on-one with Chicago Reader theater writer Carrie Reed. Like I said, we're going to be recapping the news, maybe five uh, news stories followed by questions and so many add-on questions from Ben Jarofsky. Uh, Questions that... No one will probably know, like, what did I eat last night? Or, or questions that I get the wrong answer to, like the one I asked Miles. You know what I mean? It could be awesome, or it could be a train wreck, people. Find out Friday at 5 o'clock for 10 trivia points. And uh, one more thing we got to mention here. Yes. September's almost over. October's on the way, which means another first Tuesday show is going to be live at the hideout with Ben Jarofsky and Mick Dumkey. It's a fantastic uh, show that they uh, run every month. They always bring on local guests and they talk local issues. Ben, what's on tap this no, week? No, we have a great one this uh, Tuesday, uh, October 1st. Tuesday, October 1st at 6.30 at the hideout, 1354 West Wabansia. Uh, two aldermen, alder people, I should say. Alderwoman uh, Jeanette Taylor from the 20th Ward will be there. And Alderman Matt Martin from the 47th Ward, Alderman, so they'll talk about you know what getting their feet on the ground, figuring things out at City Hall, but they'll also talk about the big decisions they have ahead of themselves. How are we going to fund government? What taxes are we going to use and find to employ? What's the most progressive, fairest way to finance the things that we all need? Uh, they are right there. They have to make these decisions. Going to have to vote on Lori Lightfoot's budget. Uh, what's life life like with Lori Lightfoot in the Chicago City Council? I think Jeanette Taylor was at CTU uh, the other night when um, Bernie Sanders and uh, our good friend Bob Ryder showed up. He dropped the F-bomb too. Uh, and John Cusack was there. So I'm really looking forward to Jeanette Taylor and Matt Martin. Jeanette Taylor is a powerhouse, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and Matt Martin uh, is no slouch either. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, this Tuesday, October 1st, 6.30 p.m., 1354 West Wabansia. There you go. Well, these aldermen uh, channel their colleague, Sue Sedlowski-Garza, and drop an F-bomb? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But you won't know unless you go. And we're also going to live stream that as well at Benny J Show first Tuesdays. All right. Thanks so much, D. All right. Uh, Don Ballard, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you being here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, ben, you know, uh, and uh, you know, I don't know if the uh, live stream's on, but uh, we're all wearing red, a little bit of red on for yeah. Red Thursday. There we go. You know, and uh, that's always uh, one of our mobilization colors. You know, wear red well, for the fight. You know, I, uh, I think what happened, and I'm just speaking for myself, uh, when I saw the Sun-Times with the Take the Deal headline, I said, you know what? I got to show some love for the teachers. I'm a big, I said this earlier, my mother was a teacher for many, many years. So I'm with the teachers. I hope they strike a deal, but I think they're standing up for some really important issues. So I, I don't know if I was consciously wearing this, uh, but you know, maybe I was. Yeah, uh, Yay for our teachers! Oh, it's Rounder. Well, I really believe it uh, as opposed to Rounder. All right. Uh, uh, let's get through some of these strike updates. So uh, we talked a little bit on the phone before we came on. I got seven of them. So it's going to take some time to get through them all. Uh, I've talked about the teachers. Uh, let's start. Man, Chicago labor movement is, I don't, I can't recall Don. I said this to you on the phone. I have to go back to like 1980, I want to say. And you were, you were a kid at Quigley <laughs> uh, to, to remember a time when there were so many labor disputes out in the open 
uh, here in the city of Chicago. Something has happened with the labor movement and it's come awake. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I think uh, from the public sector, from the private sector, we have so much labor unrest, labor, uh, I mean, yeah, the struggle is big out there right now. Uh, I mean, naturally, we're hearing hearing a lot from our struggles at the pro- public sector with the teachers and uh, over at the park district and the support staff at uh, CPS. But you know, we have a lot of other issues that are that are out there. Uh, well, we have UAW, right, and that's uh, that's a ongoing. I didn't even put that on the list because that's <laughs> national. That's a national. I mean, although I mean, locally we don't have any GM facilities mm-hmm. in town. We do have the the Ford plant uh, on the south side, but they're they're in bargaining and they're watching closely what's going on at the GM uh, the GM strike. Because typically, what how, how it happens at uh, the big three once a once one of the big three uh, signs an agreement with the UAW the other two uh, fall in line. And uh, so it's being watched closely by our, by the, our Ford uh, UAW members on the south side. Uh, but the GM plant, uh, the GM strike, is a parts facility, small parts for a supplier out in Bolingbrook. And so uh, okay. uh, a handful, maybe about, a, I'm not really sure what the exact population of uh, UAW workers are out there. But yeah, that's that's the one where if you're looking for a, to, to, to walk the picket line in solidarity, you go out there okay. uh, locally if you don't want to drive all the way to Detroit or something. <laughs> so. Well, let, just before we get to the, the more local uh, labor s- situations, let's talk a little, just a bit about UAW. We had a, a discussion about that last week. That's the issue there has to do with the concessions that United Auto Workers have made over the years uh, to help General Motors and the entire auto industry get back on its feet. If you recall, uh, at the tail tail end of the George W. Bush administration, the the economy in general was, was... spiraling down in the auto industry was really a hard hit and a lot of concessions were made by the unions in terms basically set up a two-tier system where new employees got less pay and less benefits than the older employees and now times are good money's coming in and this is an old age-old story don they want okay let's make amends you know we helped you hey donald trump we helped you now you help us <laughs> and isn't that essentially what's the issue there yeah that's that's pretty much at the the heart of the uh you know the dispute uh, you've got yeah a two-tiered workforce uh you know they're working side by side and you've got a perma temp practic- uh, perma temp on one side and you got your you know, your your mainline uh, uaw uh, workers who, who are who who existed prior and to uh, to the creation of the tier, and it's it's just that unfairness, the inequity that's been lingering, and it's about time that they fix that. And uh, that's the temping of America, and it just ties into that. And it's about fairness and equity at the end of the day, and that's what they're fighting for. Um, and I mean, you know, the auto industry it employs so many people. Well, not you. It still does, but I mean. More and more of those uh, those jobs, which used to support a family, they're not anymore because of the temping out of uh, of, of these manufacturers, and like this part suppliers that we're dealing with nowadays, a lot of them are getting temped out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's along the the, the the whole you know the whole line there. I mean, we still have a lot of. I mean, people say manufacturing is dead in Illinois, uh, but I want to say the last you know from our uh, our Chicago Workers Collaborative some of the other groups that we work with some of the progressive groups you know their research and studies have found we have about half a million uh, temped out manufacturing industrial jobs 
in the state of Illinois. And most of them half are half a million, half a million, half a million, 500,000. And, uh, and they're, they're, uh, they're all, uh, Tempt out workers, uh, contingent workers who work in light manufacturing. And these were industries that in the past were unionized. Yeah. But so they, uh, as we know about you know, what happened in the 80s and 90s with the massive plant closures, they all, they all shut down. But they've actually been coming back as light manufacturing and employing instead of, and without the union anymore. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and uh, it's to avoid unionization, they bring in the tent workers. And you, as you know, Maybe you don't know, but you know, uh, unions can only organize uh, regular employees, uh, temp- temporary employees, the third-party employees, uh, because of their uh, because of the way the laws are written, mm-hmm. they can't be organized. And that's you know, during the uh, the previous Obama board, we were sort of wa- wa- going towards that step where a uh, you know, joint employer status, mm-hmm. uh, but naturally because of the change in the board, uh, since then you know, they're that's coming back. Yeah. Well, that's part of the fight that's going on in California. And I, I think we talked about this the last time we were on the show, mm-hmm. where the uh, the General Assembly in California, the Senate, the state Senate and the state uh, House of Representatives passed a bill. I think this, the governor finally signed it, passed a bill uh, that would make uh, temp employees uh, or gig economy employees like Lyft and Uber drivers uh, employees of a company right. as opposed to being private contractors. And that would have a huge impact on their relationship and the connection with their employers and the benefits that their employers would have to give them. Of course, Lyft and Uber are fighting that. But see, Don, I know you know this, but if you have a temp employee workforce, if you have a gig economy workforce, you don't have, you're not bringing enough money into families to really adequately sustain the families. It has an impact on the city, the quality of life. You know, our next guest, Nicole Johnson from the 20th Ward, uh, you're talking about trying to build a sustainable neighborhoods throughout the city of Chicago. If families are making do on poverty wages, it's really hard to, to accomplish that. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that the whole uh, gig economy or the, the contingent workforce, more and more people. I mean, it's there was a couple studies, I mean, uh, you know, pulling from the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics reports and some other reports. One out of every three worker in the city of Chicago is a, is a contingent worker. And that, that has impact, like you said, on the fact that they have to work multiple jobs to make ends meet. And, you know, they have to, they live in the city. The costs are so much higher. And I mean, the other part of it is like more and more people are in the contingent workforce for decades. So there goes there, you know, any retirement security. So we're creating a, uh, we're sitting on some serious problems in, down the road, just not now, but down the road as, you know, folks start hitting retirement age and they don't have, the only thing they could depend on is social security. Uh, they don't have a nest egg. They don't have a 401k. They don't have a pension because of the whole con- the, con- the, the temping out mm-hmm. or the gigging out of the economy. So, uh, and, and, and again, because they're contingent and they're gigs and they're temps, we can't organize. It's so difficult to organize them. And when you do try to organize them, uh, usually, like, let's say we go to a workplace and we see some temps, we try to organize them. A week later, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the temp agencies, oh, they caught wind. Like, oh, there's an organizing drive. Yeah. And so then they disappear. Who knows where they end up? So that's, that's, the, that's the state of the workforce out there today. All right, let's take a look at some of these uh, situations, take them point by point. Uh, let's talk. start off with the Park District employees. And that's not gotten a lot of attention. Obviously, the Chicago Teachers Union and the, their situation with the teachers has been uh, getting most of the attention. Talk a little bit about what's going on with the Park District employees. Yeah, uh, again, uh, that's represented by SEIU 73. Uh, 
you know, great union, uh, public sector union. Uh, they repre- represent like a lot of the, the staff and uh, security and uh, a lot of the folks at SCI uh, at the park district. They're you know they're they're low wage workers. I mean they're not. I mean they are. Uh, they're they're just asking for a little uh, to be lifted up. And the other thing about SCIA seventy three and 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 the park district, you've got a diverse workforce there. These are people who live in the city of Chicago. They live on the south and west sides, uh, and they're people of color. And anything that you know, they they support these communities, and that's what they're fighting for. So, uh, any money that you give them, any raise that you give these people, it stays in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go off to you know, if, like when you pay somebody who lives on the suburb, you know, who, who doesn't live, who works in Chicago but lives in the suburbs, they take their money out to to wherever they're they're at. Or Indiana, yeah. right? These are people who live in the city of Chicago, and any investment in them uh, is an investment back in our communities. Yeah, well, I uh, I recall that when Mayor Daley, the first Mayor Daley, not baby Mayor Daley, but <laughs> Richard J. Daley, imposed residency requirements on the city of Chicago. This was way before your time. Uh, well, you were, as I said, at Quigley. Uh, you know, you may not have even been at Quigley yet. You're probably still in grammar school. No, still in grammar school. Uh, yeah. You, <laughs> anyway, all right. I'd like to point out how young you are. Uh, so, uh, but he, when he imposed that, the view at the time was that uh, he was going to sustain the city. He was going to use the workforce uh, it was essentially an investment in Chicago. So if you pay Nicole or Dennis to have a job at the park district, but require them to live in the city of Chicago, they were going to what? Either buy property in the city or pay a landlord to live in the city and shop in the city. Shop in the city. And that money would circulate in the city. And that's how daily, that was daily. I give him credit for this. All right. Now we're in a situation. I hear park district employees saying the city of Chicago has become too expensive. You follow me on this? Absolutely. The city of Chicago has become too expensive for a city worker. Mm-hmm. So we either give us more money or, or get rid of the residency requirement. Don, I've lived and seen it all that I've seen this uh, conversation emerge this way. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, they need to, this is an investment, just following that, following it up. I mean, the cost of uh, living in Chicago has gone up and our wages, the wages that people have been making hasn't kept up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's been the trend for, for the past few decades, yeah. right? And uh, every time, I mean, I guess if you look at the CPI, I mean, raises haven't kept up with the CPI. And we all know how much it costs to, to live in the city. And, and then that, that's the, that's, I mean, that's a compromise and that's a great compact between the city and the, you know, the city and these workers. Like, look, you know, we're keeping, and a lot of these folks live in these neighborhoods are keeping them stable. You know, they're in these, these, uh, these working class neighborhoods. I mean, they're not in the, most of these folks aren't living downtown in the gold coast. You know, they're living in the neighborhoods and, and keeping these neighborhoods solid. And, and it's an, again, it's like you said, it's an, it is a, it's an investment or like what the, uh, older mayor Daly said, it's an investment back in the city. And I think maybe somehow, uh, it's been lost down yeah. the road, right? Lost our way a little bit. All right, SEIU, another SEIU. I think it's SEIU 73. They represent the security cards. It's the Chicago Public Schools. Yeah. They voted for a strike as well. Yeah, that's uh, the security guards, the SICAs, their special education, classroom assistants, bus aides, and custodial staff. And again, these are folks, again, who, you know, they're the lowest, uh, they're among the lowest paid workers at CPS. Uh, and you know, they're barely above the minimum wage, uh, and I think if and and some of the some of the their work rules are, are 
pretty draconian or pretty back. Uh, I'm going to take the bus aides, for example. You know, you got a bus aide who will come in at five in the morning to the bus barn and they'll work a two hour shift in the morning when that bus leaves. They don't get home till five. And then there's a there's a gap in between their shift where they have to stick. They can't do it. Four hour gap before they pick up another kids, another student. They can't find another job for four hours. Then they do another two or three hour shift before the before then. So by the time they get home, it's probably about six o'clock, seven o'clock when you take in the commute time. So you're looking at somebody who spent 12, 13 hours a day away from, you know, pretty much at work. Mm -hmm. But they're only getting paid for, you know, four or six hours. And that's, and these are, again, low-wage workers. And these are people of color, people who come from these, you know, some of our marginalized neighborhoods. And it's, and they're the ones, uh, I, I've had an opportunity to talk to some of these people and they've had a hard, hard time. Some of them are struggle, struggling with homelessness. So, um, and just because back to the cost, of, the cost to live in the city, and then they're required to live in the city. And, uh, and you know, a lot of these people, you know, they take public transit to get from, one, uh, to get from the job sites, from their homes to the, to the bus barn and, and, and whatnot. So, but that, that's a, uh, that, that injustice, that's a bit of an you know, inequity that's just appalling, like, you know, and, and by the way, the meter doesn't start for these people until they pick up the first kid. So they get to the bus barn at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And until they pick up that first kid, they don't get paid. And then the meter stops when they get to the school. So it's, it's a two-hour, three-hour shift. And then, but then it's all that gap time where uh, they're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the teachers. And uh, Bob Ryder, a good friend, was at the uh, teacher rally. Got a little carried away there, Bob, with the F-bomb. It's okay. We forgive you. Uh, what's, uh, what's your sense of where that uh, labor dispute is heading? You know, I, I look at this, and I actually, even the, the, the fact finder, I think, support, the fact finder's report, the neutral who issued the report, that's supposed to be the floor in the bargaining process. That is the floor. That's where you start. And what the teachers are, are asking for is somewhere above the floor. So, you know, there's probably a compromise somewhere in between the floor and the ceiling. Maybe, you know, or, but that's, that, for, you know, that is the floor. We don't take the floor, right? You want something better than the floor. And that's the starting point for the bargaining. <laughs> I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, you know, when we're in bargaining, it's like yeah. the company. Oh, you know, you, you give your the company gives their side. You give your side. Yeah. We were supposed to find something in the middle. Yeah, and that's what the uh, that's what the fact finder report is. It's the it's the floor of the bargaining. Uh, and of course, then there's the issue of the jobs and whether they're uh, put into the contract specifically, yeah. directly. And that's uh, we had uh, striking, or and they're not striking anymore. They were locked out nurses yeah. from uh, University of Chicago on yesterday, uh, talking about it's basically the same issue, mm -hmm. guaranteeing a certain number of jobs. Yeah, uh, that a because you know University of Chicago is home to Uncle Milty and uh, neoliberalism, right? Yes. They're the ones that created that. And I mean, I've been in a lockout before and man, it sucks. And it really pisses me off when I see these lockouts, especially when the employer doesn't have to impose that lockout. Yeah. That's bull. I mean, you know, five days or was it a five day contract that they set up with, uh, with these contractors, they could have sent them home. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, uh, they're just, they, they just want to, they're just, again, uncle Milty and, uh, and neoliberalism at that, at that university. That's what they're pushing. The Chicago School of yeah. Politics, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what they're pushing. And, and, and that doesn't fly. That yeah. shouldn't fly in this town, especially, you know, 
a nonprofit hospital, um, and uh, and they just have to do the right thing. Like these five, uh, the, the five days of having a contract nurse in there. Yeah, that's bull. Yeah, no, they uh, that whatever uh, money they're uh, they're trying to save by uh, tightening. Uh, being tough on the on their current nurses, they threw out the window by bringing in the quote unquote replacement nurses. I, I was around when they brought in the replacement bears. Oh, remember I'm, replacement <laughs> bears? They were terrible. They were terrible. Dicka Dick lost control of the bears because he was with the replacement bears yeah. as opposed to sticking oh, yeah. with the real bears, the Mike Singletary bears, the right. Walter Payton bears. They're on strike, and he's with the replacement bears. Was Bambi a replacement QB? No, I'll tell you who the for ten trivia points. Here we go for ten trivia points. Who was the replacement bear quarterback? Bob Avellini. No, Nicole Johnson knows the answer to this question. It was Sean Payton, who is oh, now the coach right. of the New Orleans. And Nicole's going, yeah, she's not. She wasn't even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> she, she doesn't know uh, but, anything about replacement bears. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. She's coming back with a counterpunch. Welcome uh, to our show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all, right, all right. So, Don, before I let you go, any other uh, updates you want to give us? Uh, we, we pretty much covered them all, except, of course, uh, well, there's the hotel workers, obviously. That mm -hmm. There's one strike uh, yeah. still going on. Anything else? Yeah, Cambria, uh, they're on that strike. Uh, again, that's... Boils down to corporate greed. Everybody else is okay with it. The rest of the, uh, you know, the hoteliers in the cities are in the city of Chicago is fine with the agreement, but this one hotel, and uh, and you know, from what I've heard, yeah, not too good. I don't think you'd. I'd want to stay in that hotel right now, you know, uh, and I probably and I won't because <laughs> yeah. you know, never cross the picket line. But you know, then the whole other issue again, like back at O'Hare, we've got uh, Air Wisconsin flight attendants AFA. They haven't had a, I think, it was three or a few years since they've 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 had a uh, a new contract, and they voted to strike, but because of the Railway Labor Act, which was because of Pullman, the, the Great Pullman strike here in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Because of that, uh, they cannot go on strike. They have to get released by the federal government in order to go on strike until so they have to keep working. They have to keep working and bargaining, even though right now it's getting nowhere. So they've been at, they've asked to get released from the uh, uh, from the from the by the railway labor by the by the uh, RLA and so far they haven't. Mm. And a similar situation with uh, the folks uh, transport workers union over at uh, American Airlines. They've been fighting I think five years now for a new contract. And again, because of the five same yeah, mm. because of the Railway Labor Act, they cannot. Uh, they have a hard time trying to. You know, they can't strike, mm -hmm. and uh, and they, they made the news actually recently because uh, there was a, a judge in Dallas sanctioned or penalized a, a, one of the workers at, at American Airlines, a maintenance workers, uh, because of they they viewed his actions as as a as a strike, uh, his uh, work mm -hmm. slowdown. Yeah. It was in the news lately, and again, it, it, it's five years fighting for a contract at American Airlines. And uh, yeah, and then and, uh, and at O'Hare, the food service uh, at Sky Chef and Gate uh, and the food, the flight kitchen at O'Hare, they're also in in tough bargaining right now. Unite Here Local One uh, is in tough bargaining with them as well. All right, very good, uh, Don Villar. Thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Chicago Federation of Labor. Uh, I guess you'll be in the rotation for a while because uh, Jake Lewis is on. 
paternity leave. Yeah, right? we give paternity leave. Yeah, we give it's, it's a union. They <laughs> get paternity leave. Uh, so anyway, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming you in. You got it, Ben. All right, and uh, thank you very much. Nicole Johnson's on next. We'll be right back with Nicole. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Attention Chicago innovators and creators. 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trapped. Traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much, and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York, so it was just like I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. And, I, and also, I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the West Side, Melvina Masterminds. It's gonna be arts and and then a tech program and after-school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area. So. Just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located on 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, and people, they are badass. Don't believe me? Well, let me just tell you what I'm looking at here at GreenElementResale.com. You can go to GreenElementResale.com as well and check out these things. I'm looking right now here at GreenElementResale.com. Oh, oh, I see a lamp. A lamp, everybody. You can get a lamp right now. Wait, there's one. Oh, there's multiple lamps. I see like 10 lamps right now right. at Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. Oh, there's a oh, kitchen chair. Kitchen chair. Get a kitchen table chair right I could now. Use one. Couldn't we all? Yeah. It's a Green Element Resale. <laughs> Those items at more and more at Green Element Resale, greenelementresale.com. If you're ever on Broadway between Devon and Grand, stop on in and say thank you because the Green Element Resale brings you the Ben Jarofsky Show. I could talk about it all day, but we got a show to do, all right? Green Element Resale. Go there now and save tons of money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Don Lars left the building, but Nicole Johnson has entered the building, and I want to start by apologizing. I never, ever just assumed that you did not know who the replacement I don't think you were born when that went down, though. Is that correct? 
the replacement bears. Remember the replacement bears at all? I was going to say somebody with Peyton and... I was 50% right. Oh, 50% <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. I give you credit for knowing that. Uh, but it was Sean Payton was, he's now currently the coach of New Orleans Saints. And back in 1987, I think that was, when the NFL went on strike, they brought in replacement players for all the NFL teams. Replacement player scabs, you chick choose the word and he oh, was wow. the one that uh yeah this was before your time yeah i was born uh, in 89 so that was yeah this was time. before your time i i uh, <laughs> I, I had a feeling about that anyway welcome to the show nicole thank you and i'm happy to be back with you and back here and on the mic <laughs> Yeah, the last time you were on, you were uh, running for alderman or alderwoman of the uh, 20th Ward uh, on the south side in the Woodlawn area, and uh, that did not end successfully for you, but uh, let's talk about the experience. Let's just catch up with you. Uh, you know, what did you learn from that election? Well, I would like to say that it actually, it was a successful run, I think, um, in terms of being able to develop a very formidable campaign, raise the money, stay relevant, and um, make sure that my message resonated with people across the city of Chicago. I was definitely successful in that. Didn't win the election, so in technicality, yeah. But um, it was, in hindsight, I've been taking a lot of time to reflect on it. Then you're not really able to, like, really know what's going on. You just do, and you're being told to do this, and you have this plan, and you tell other people, and they make sure you go there. You're like, you do what makes sense at the time, but really being able to reflect. I've been doing a lot of that, and um, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really proud of the campaign that we ran, and I still have supporters that I talk to very frequently, you know, on a weekly basis that are still very supportive. And, you know, they're looking like, where are you? You didn't come to the black club. It's like, people, I'm sleepy. Like, you know, I, I got invited to a lot of stuff over the summer and I only made maybe a few of them towards the end of the summer. I'm like, folks, like I'm tired. Like I need some time to recuperate. And so that's the other part about it because I literally just doubled down into it. I was a full-time candidate and I, um, you know, I didn't have much savings. So, you know, I was just rebuilding uh, my life is where I'm at right now. And so I'm, I'm in a comfortable place right now. But it was tough. But um, it was it was so tough. I mean, I think a lot about the text that we had on our campaign and just um, from different people and different campaigns and different institutions across the city. Um, it was a lot. But, you know, Election Day. Actually, I wore this shirt on Election Day. This is the first time I wore this shirt on Election Day uh, since Election Day. So uh, I was I was just relieved that it was over. <laughs> like what's I remember our staff meeting the Saturday before Election Day. I was just pouting at that point. I was like we were putting together my Election Day schedule and I was like, I need a nap. <laughs> I need a nap in here. They're like, Nicole, this is it. This is the run. I'm like, this is it. I'm like, I need a nap. I'm tired. I'm yeah. tired. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. So did you go anywhere after it was all over? Did you well, like disappear, leave town, take a trip, yeah, a bike actually, ride or something? So for two months, I was like in the bed, literally for two months, almost three months, actually. So April 
had two months. And then at the beginning of June, I went on a yoga hiking retreat. My sister does these yoga hiking retreats with women. And I did that. We were out in Indiana, and it was so beautiful. It Wait was, a minute. Beautiful in Indiana? Sorry. I'm just, I'm just teasing Hoosiers. I'm just yeah. teasing. All of our Indiana <laughs> listeners, do not <laughs> stop listening. Where's the hey, beautiful part of Indiana? Hey, I, I went to Michigan, so, we, you know, we, we could do that. But I just like the trees, Michigan. But the trees. Yeah. The trees. Hey, it's not Ohio, right? So okay. that's another thing. All of our Ohio listeners, <laughs> please. Do not I love you, listening. Indiana. I'm just kidding. All right, Indiana? Uh, right. Um. But yeah, I went there and then started working and um, <clears throat> over the Labor Day weekend, me and one of my girlfriends that went to Whitney Young, we went to Scottsdale. So we had a very bourgeoisie holiday weekend. Scottsdale, Arizona. Arizona. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. Uh, and uh, so uh, I saw the reason I reached out to you, I saw, I think I saw it on Instagram uh, yeah. that you had some kind of program coming. I want you to talk about that briefly before we get into some of the political issues. Yeah. So um, as a result, you know, campaigns are expensive. And so I uh, was close. I, cl- I raised about a close to $150,000 for the campaign, but still have some outstanding invoices. So. Um, this is an event that Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, 14th Congressional District, she's hosting me on Monday at Bureau Bar from 6 to 8 p.m. And we'll talk about the run, lessons learned, and next steps for me and my vision for the city. And um, just a great opportunity to have her support um, and then also get back out there and keep my name up. So, you know, when you posted, when you, when you text me, I was like, Oh my God, thank you. So just another opportunity again to keep my name up. Um, you know, this week it's funny. I've been in a lot of political things this week. I didn't see you at personal pack. I was there too. And so, you know, I, I was at the mayor club. I, I was at Maggiano's too the next day. And so just trying to stay as much as I can in the mix because you never know when there's an opportunity and someone's going to tap you and say, hey, here's here's something, look into this. And so um, I just want to keep up the momentum that our campaign was able to build on, to develop and continue to build on that. Right, let's talk about Lauren Underwood a little bit and your connection yeah. to her. Lauren Underwood, of course, is uh, the newly elected, well, not that newly anymore. She's a congresswoman from the 14th Congressional in the suburbs. Uh, you have a Lauren Underwood connection. Talk about that. Yeah, so Lauren and I uh, both went to Michigan. She was graduating when I was coming in, though. And we, we were in the same sorority, so we went through the same chapter. And so she went to D.C., and I spent a couple of semesters in D.C. So, of course, you reach out to your sorority sisters to help take care of you. And so that's when we developed a relationship. I was there my sophomore year of college and then my last semester of college. And so she picked me up because she had a car, and she picked me up and take me go grocery shopping and things like that. We go to dinner and so forth. And um, obviously at that time she was um, she was either in like, you know, uh, in grad school or she was working in the Department of Health and Human Services. And um, it was one evening, actually, that um, that I had finished college and I was going back in D.C. for a reunion, the Michigan and Washington program. And I stayed with her and it was one night we we stayed up and we just talked about like our dreams and we both wanted to like run and and do these big things. And so that was twenty. 15, I want to say, and um, 
it just manifests in, in what it is. And whenever she would come home and we hang out and, you know, we go out for my birthday or whatever, whatever, whatever. So um, really good relationship. And it's it's so funny. Um, I remember telling my mom when, when she won her primary, my mom was like, I was like, Mommy, Lauren, Lauren won. And she was like, are you serious? So it was just it was just good to be able to see someone so close to you doing what you want to do and also just doing what you don't see a lot of people doing. And so um, that's our relationship. And so uh, she called me maybe a day or two after April 2nd and we were talking and um, she was like, how you feel? And I was just like, yeah, I'm relieved, man. I'm just glad that's over. And she was like, yeah. So we just talked and she asked me how much debt I amassed because that's a normal question to ask how much debt you have. And so I told her, she's like, oh, that's not a lie. I'm like, yeah, it's just 16 grand. Like you can, I was able to, you know, towards the end of the campaign, I was pulling in like 10, 15 a week. It was crazy, you know? And so um, she was like, well, maybe we could do an event or whatever. And so that was in April. And so I, I hit her up, like a session was ending. I said, well, you know, will you still be able to do an event for me? And so um, she had her person reach out to me and we coordinated it and, that's where we're at today. And so we're, one more time, we're in the wind. Yeah, so it'll be at Bureau Bar 724 West Maxwell from 6 to 8 p.m. on September 30th. That's this upcoming Monday. Uh, and Lauren Underwood, uh, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, uh, when you take a look at what she's been doing, it's pretty remarkable. Your sorority sister from mm -hmm. the University of Michigan, a, a native of Naperville, Illinois, in the suburbs. Uh, you're, of course, from Chicago, Whitney Young grad. Uh, and... Uh, Lauren Underwood, I was surprised that she won the primary. <laughs> uh, she uh, Not the primary, but I was surprised that she was able to beat Hulkren in the yeah. uh, general election, go to Washington. And a little trickier um, terrain that she has to navigate because she comes from a district that is not completely blue district. Like So you right. take a look at Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, who emerged in the same freshman class. It's a natural comparison to women that's roughly the same age, right. millennials. Uh, and coming in at the same time, one is very outspoken progressive. The other one is more of a moderate. Right. And obviously, they have different districts. Mm -hmm. I try to tell my left of center friends, you can't all be AOC and get reelected. You can't. You can't. And you kind of see it like the, the squad, you know, um, Ilhan, Ayana, Rashida, and AOC, they're the squad. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, me and another one of my uh, sorority sisters, we were um, she, uh, we went through the same chapter, and so she says, "Where's Lauren in all this?" I'm like, "That's not Lauren's demographic. Like, she can't be doing that. Like, no, it's not the same jam." And she was like, "Cause she's out in Michigan and Grand Rapids." I'm like, "Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work the same way for Lauren, and it doesn't resonate well." And those folks are already on rocky, uh, you know, terrain to even elect her in the first place. And it was funny when I was at Maggiano's and I was sitting next to this guy who uh, works at Northern Trust and um, Sharice, you just talked about Sharice from CFL. She came over and she hugged me because I called her to tell her about Monday. And I was like, yeah, it's to retire my debt. Uh, she was like, oh, I thought it was for Lauren. I was like, no, it's for me. She was like, okay. And then the guy next to me was like, you know, Lauren. And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, I'm not in you know, Naperville. And I was like, did you vote for her? And he was like, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> and then he waited two seconds. He's like, I think I did. But, you know, she was a little too green. And I was like, what? What is this? Like, you're 45. What do you mean you're green? 
So, um, wait, did he mean green as, as in inexperienced yeah. or did he mean green as in green new deal? Not green new deal at all. Just green as an experience. And I was like, she's worked in the department. He was like, well, that's different than working for an administrator. I was like, sir, you're just pulling things out your ass right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could say it. It's a podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's 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 what it is. But then also, I know that there are other people that are part of like the collar counties that are in in um, Caston's uh, district. Mm-hmm. Sure, but th- they were excited about her run, and they were like, "Oh man, I can't vote for her." Um, so yeah. No, I uh, and listen before all is said and done. Whoever runs against her, the Republican whoever runs against her, will depict her as a member of the squad. I will guarantee you that's where they'll go. So Lauren Underwood can be as moderate as she wants. It's like Pete Buttigieg over in South Bend. Right. He's playing moderate Democrat. If he were the nominee, which he won't be the nominee, but if he were the nominee, guarantee Donald Trump would put him in the squad too because that's the strategy. Mm. What you do is you push somebody. You put, you just, even if it doesn't, if it's totally made up and manufactured, that's the the line that you push, Nicole, yeah. because that's the line that works. And it's crazy, man. Old boy Lipinski did it uh, with Marie Newman. Yeah, Marie yeah. Newman. Fifth exactly. member of the squad. Yep. It's so, that's, right. that's one thing I learned about politics is like, you just, you just pick up your, your drum beat and then you keep banging on it and it's going to pick up and people are going to run with it, whether it has any validity or not. Like, just the news that the the articles that came out about me and the mail that came out about me and I was like, is it me they're talking about? Because at one point I was yeah. like, am I this person? You really question like I'm hearing this and other people are picking up and I would go to their doors and they were like, yeah, I hear what they saying about you. And I said, wait, hold on, what? Um, so that is something that we want to think really critically about. We that's why it's so important for us to have really good like our own um media outlets that people listen to and i don't know how you give people the real information in two minutes sound base because that's all our attention span has right now but um we have to be able to combat that rhetoric that's going to be coming from the right and um anybody else that's you know willing to attack some people that we really that we really want to support like lauren underwood all right, and so that uh, Lauren will be there for Nicole. It's good to see the sorority sisters are staying together on that one. Uh, <laughs> let's let's shift things to the local. Uh, a yeah. lot's been going on locally here in the city of Chicago, although I'd l- love to get your views on uh, uh, what Lauren's up against with Donald Trump and an impeachment thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's, let's talk about the locals. The big challenge right now for the city of Chicago is to figure out a fair and equitable way to raise the money to fund government. I talk about it all the time. I was just talking about it with Don. Uh, on the show, it's at the heart of the uh, contract negotiations with the teachers union. It's the heart of the budget debate that's coming up. Uh, Jeanette Taylor, who was victorious in the 20th Ward, she and so many other freshmen all are going to have to make a very tough uh, mm-hmm. decisions. Matt Martin, 47th Ward, yeah, uh, Andre Vasquez, all the all those new uh, left of center, God bless them, progressives, mm-hmm. and they're uh, they champion the right issues, but then. Push comes to shove. You got to finance and fund this thing. What's your take on this? What, what's your take on the best way, the best direction that Chicago had to fund, uh, fund government? 
Yeah, um, I was just looking at so the city, they have this survey on their website on the budget survey on the budget site where they're taking surveys from constituents to ask like, what are some areas of the budget that we either need to a increase maintain or decrease. And property taxes definitely want their like, don't increase it at all. Like, no more. Um, And I can see it too with my grandparents, the building that I live in, my grandparents own it. And, you know, I plan to get it from them. Um, but, you know, I have to, I'm paying more in my rent now to my grandparents because of taxes and we're, our insurance has gone up too. And um, it's just really tight. And so I know that that's the, the biggest asset that we, they can tax because there's so many and there's so many people. But one thing that I started talking about during my campaign is like these zombie properties. Um, you know, we're not getting enough revenue from those zombie properties. They're just sitting there. There's one on my block. I know the owner. Um, and what do you it's mean by zombie properties? Just uh, vacant buildings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vacant buildings on streets, on, on residential street as well as commercial streets. Um you know, there's especially if the if the bank has them, like they should definitely be taxed. We're not, and, and you can you can appeal that because like all oh, the value, like like Pritzker's toilets, like <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that one, don't yeah. we? <laughs> Pritzker and his toilets, Pritzker and his toilets, right? So you 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 know you you can you can uh, appeal your taxes, but something needs to be done about that. Like that's a whole bunch of money. When I when I just drive through the hood and I just see all these dilapidated buildings that. That used to be stores that used to be um, dry cleaners. Like, how can we think critically about mm-hmm. those assets instead of again putting the, the the burden on a lot of seniors now because they they bought these homes in the '60s and '70s or and it's been um, you know inherited to the next generation and just it's it's really hard. So um, I would. I know that that's probably where they're going to go, but I would hate to be that person in that seat to, to, to make that decision on, um, you know, so obviously we talk about a luxury tax and different services. Um, that was something that I talked about as well. Um, a head tax. I mean, if we think about a lot of these corporations that are hiring, um, low wage positions and people have to sustain themselves on city services, social services, like that should be kicked back because you best believe these tariffs, these China tariffs, they're falling on consumers. Like then this reliance on city social services needs to be kicked back to the employer and these corporations. So it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to be thinking about that. As well. Now, uh, the, the, the story of the day we've been talking about is uh, the negotiations with the Chicago Teachers Union. Somebody mm-hmm. like you, I could see you'd be, you would have conflicting, like, pulling you in conflicting directions. Um, on one hand, you're a graduate of Chicago Public Schools, Whitney Young grad. I'm sure you still have fond memories of the teachers that helped you get to where you are, not just in high school, but in grammar school as well. And they're about to go on the picket line. You want to show support for them. On the other hand, you got a powerful mayor like Lori Lightfoot, uh, who is on the other side. You don't want to go too far to alienate her. How would you? How do you position yourself in this, uh, uh, in this contract talk? <laughs> Yeah, so I um, one thing I talked about is uh, sustainable community schools. And so thinking about where are the areas that we're not looking at that we can bring in more resources. I had a meeting with um, Chief Education Officer Latanya McDade a couple weeks ago for CPS, and I was telling her, like, 
you know, let's think about co-locating, you know, institutions and companies within our schools to in, to bring more revenue within our schools. Um, during the campaign, I talked all the time about this one school, and it wasn't the only one. The school where I got my teacher training from didn't have a library. There is one on 66 in Champlain that does not have a library. The whole second floor is totally uninhabited, pretty much. It's underutilized and it's under-enrolled. And so there's a concern that it's going to get on the chopping block one day, right? Because that's what the formula says. Um, so I would be on finding, you know, where can, where can in my in my realm of influence, can I say, you know, we're going to develop this partnership or we're going to um, try to make this concession. I do believe that we, you know, we do need, especially in our schools, in our most poorest communities where kids experience the most trauma, we do need a lot of social services, particularly along mental health. That's an area where you can you can do more connections with some of the hospitals that are in the area. Their medical, their medical schools, if you've got some some um, some pri- some mental health practitioners there to do their work at the schools and provide those services. Just really get really creative. I have yet to see that type of creativity and ingenuity in our in our city government. And you know we've been broke forever, right? We've been broke for a very very long time. But and 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 the only re- recourse has been increasing taxes. But we haven't really thought about. This is a world-class city. There are world-class resources and assets, and how do we make that work for the needs of the people? And I haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I would situate myself. That would be my drumbeat is like, what else? Let's look under this this rock and see what other solutions do we have there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we want to protect our teachers. I I was just talking to um, one of my former colleagues. She's at um, a school on the south side near where the Robert Taylor homes were, were. And the stories that she tells me of the kids, and it's heartbreaking. And our teachers need a lot of help. They need a lot of help. Like, you got second graders that are cussing you out like like a grown man, and they are just filled with so much hate. They say they literally say, I hate my life. I hate my life. It's like, how did you grow that? How did you nurture that type of hate? And it's from their parents that they see and the things that they see on TV. So um, I do think that we need to double down on everything that we can give our, our kids, our teachers. I do think that we need to think critically about how we're spending our police budget. Um, if we want to do best practices, um, you know, a lot of way to combat crime is being proactive about the symptoms that create crime, which is mental health support. So that's where you want to bring Eddie Johnson in and say, look, we need to be, you know, we need some mental health work here to address this, um, uh, this, this violence that's happening in this hot zone in this precinct. So that's where I would think about doing it is figuring out how to really dig into that budget because it's $1.6 billion, 1.3, something like that. Like, come on. And that's where most people want to continue to spend. Um, on the website, they have the res- where they where people want money. They want to continue to spend it in public safety and then other public safety like fire. And it's like, Let's get creative how we spend that money, too. Well, yeah, there's the issue of how you spend it, but there's no doubt in my mind uh, that most people in the city of Chicago would not support massive cuts in the police department. I remember having this discussion with a fellow 
dolphin of yours, mm-hmm. uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, mm-hmm. fellow graduate of Whitney Young, a little older than you. Just 2007. Uh, you're 2009. I'm 2008. Oh, my bad, 2008. <laughs> Let's get it right, Charles. Come on, Come on, man, 2008. My apologies. Oh, uh, and why do I think you were 209? Your daughter's 209. No, she's 210. Uh, um, uh, uh, Reeves Taj, is Taj. My girl Taj, Taj is 209. Is on, she's 2009. And, uh, you're with the, you're with the Franz. Okay, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, enough Whitney Young talk. Uh, <laughs> But um, when Carlos, was like, Carlos, you're not going to get a lot of votes talking about cutting the police department. And you could talk about retraining police officers uh, and getting them to apply wiser, uh, more tools of, uh, you know, dealing with communities. Yes, right. obviously. But most people I know, black, white, Hispanic, want more police not that's just been my experience yeah i'll tell you this last summer when i was on the trail and it was a young guy black guy about in his 20s and you know i was like you don't want no more police he's like yeah i do i want to feel safe and i was like doggone it the police can either save you or kill you you still want more police so you're Life absolutely still, right yeah uh yeah i i hear you most people want more police and, and maybe more black police how about that um nicole johnson is my guest we're gonna take a break we'll come right back we'll conclude i'm gonna put her in the hot seat should we impeach donald john trump we'll see what nicole has to say when we return answer the question. So yes or no, does the president truly believe that Democrats hate Jews? Uh, I am not going to comment on a potentially leaked argument. I can tell you what I can tell you think Democrats hate Jewish people, as he said on the South. I think that they've had a lot of opportunities over the last few weeks to condemn some abhorrent comments. I'm trying to answer if you'd stop talking. I'll I'll finish my statement. The president has had uh, and laid out clearly his position on this matter. Democrats have had a number of opportunities to condemn specific comments and have refused to do that. That's a question, frankly, I think you should ask Democrats what their position is since they're unwilling to call this what it is and call it out by name and take actual action against members uh, who have done things like this, like the Republicans have done when they had the same opportunity. So I want to ask about Paul Manafort, but I just want to be very clear. You're not answering the question. Is there a reason? I believe I answered it twice. You didn't say yes or no. Does he really believe Democrats hate Jews? I'm just trying to get a sense of that. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Nicole Johnson in the studio. And Nicole, I said, I'm going to put you in the hot seat, ask you about impeachment. But I realize you're from Chicago, south side of Chicago. Nobody wanted him in the first place. Uh, they should have impeached him just for getting to be a president, even though he didn't win the majority of the vote. How about that, Nicole? Let me not say, back in the day, Nicole was a cheerleader. <laughs> and uh, I remember her as a cheerleader. And she was at a lot of basketball games cheerleading. Have you ever seen a basketball game with a team that got less points? 
And they Got won. The w. I'm just trying to figure. I've never seen a basketball game like or yeah. a fo- how about a football game? You know, the team got the less points. We're going to make the Bears the winners over the Green Bay Packers because <laughs> they got less points. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was sick. I still sometimes I sit and think like, man, that man is still president. And you know, I've been listening. I mean, you have to now, but I and I got to be honest. I I don't really listen to him a lot. Because I just can't. And I've been listening to him a lot with his whistleblower stuff and the impeachment. And and I'm just like, this has been going on this long? Like, it's ridiculous. And his his press his uh his presser yesterday at the United Nations, he's like, uh, these losers and you know, it's just a witch hunt. And I've never no, that's actually not a bad imitation. Way better than mine. <laughs> oh, way better than yours. I was like No collusion. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is the POTUS? Like, this is it? Yeah. Someone was saying um that this is this is the office that has the least uh, qualifications, required qualifications um, to, to become assume that office than any other elected office. You know, I got more heat, you know, just being 20 something and uh, running for my little lowly race to service 50,000 people. And he's, you know, the most powerful person in the world. It's it's horrible. Yeah. And he's got to go. But the alternative is it is it Pence, and and that's also scary. Wow. Well, that, you sound like my wife now from Indiana. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're the one who's hiking through Indiana. Just kidding. Uh, and uh, no, I love Indiana. Hoosiers, take it easy. All right. Some of my best friends. Actually, I'm not making this up. But one of my dearest friends in the whole world. Well, I see you, Ron. He lives in Northwest Indiana. But um, no, I I uh, I think about this. What you were just talking about, Donald Trump, when you did your Donald Trump imitation, the way he behaves, just let's put aside the policies, the way he talks about people, yeah, uh, the crudeness of his behavior. And I, I think about what kids, <laughs> I think about my kids going to the Chicago public schools and all the teachers they've had tell them, sit up, talk right, be polite, be respectful. Yeah, so many great teachers and they're flashing through my mind right yeah. now who not just my kids, but all the other kids in the classroom. Right. And here you have the epitome of what the the leader of our country, the role model in chief, and just the way he behaves and acts. Mm-hmm. And I just think they would the 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 double standard, they would not tolerate behavior like Donald Trump from a Nicole Johnson. Mm-mm. Or Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Or Kamala Harris. Or Kamala Harris. No, I'm talking about back at Whitney Young oh, growing yeah, up. Oh, you were a kid. You know what I'm of saying? Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. So. We got in trouble. I would have to stand on the wall and get a detention slip at Beasley if I acted like that. You went to Beasley? I did. I did not know that. I'm sure we talked about this. We probably didn't. I forgot. I'm a CPS kid through and through, man. No, I knew I knew your CPS, but I forgot you went to Beasley. And for yeah. 10 trivia points, let's see if Dr. D... What famous graduate from uh, the Chicago Public Schools uh, of the class of 2007 <laughs> attended Beasley? Derek Rose. Whoa! Yay! How'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Were you on a cheerleader at Beasley? No, I danced, though. Oh, you know how to dance? I did not know that. I guess you should have because you're a cheerleader. I, I'm very, I've been very active in my life. 
All right. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, Nicole Johnson is her name. Uh, she took a, a break from politics, but she's back uh, back on the block, as they say. The song says, welcome back. Thank you. And I saw it on Instagram, and I immediately reached out to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and I appreciate all the people. I, I, I sent an email out to my people, and I said, I'm the luckiest loser I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to make about that. You're not a loser. I'm not a loser. I put it in air quotes. Yeah, yeah. No, but I definitely appreciate you, um, you know, throwing me the the rope to come back in and to stay in the mix and to keep my voice out there and to get back out swinging. So thank you so much. You'll have a place in my book. All right. Very good. And, uh, <laughs> that was nice. One, one more time before we head out the door. Tell folks where they can go to hear you and Lauren Underwood. Yes, Monday, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Bureau Bar, 724 West Maxwell. You can look at my all my handles, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Nicole J. Shy. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-J-C-H-I. All right, very good. Nicole Johnson, thank you so much for coming in. I want to thank Don Villar for Chicago Federation of Labor. He was also a great guest. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Miles was in uh, Miles was in here, Kampf Lawson from uh, uh, In These Times and Jacobin Magazine, and he really had me fired up talking Trump, 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 and Trump. We've done a lot of Trump, Trump, Trump yesterday. Monroe Anderson, man, was Monroe looking good in that shirt yesterday? Oh yeah, uh, and a T. Boop Buchanan, no slouch in the. I'm gonna have to uh, step up my game, Dave. No more of these collar shirts. Please, right? just, <laughs> just keep wearing what you're wearing, please. <laughs> All so right, I'll try to step out and do that. All Let right. our guests, uh, you know, they're, they're looking sharp. And by the way, folks, that voice over there is the man, the myth, the legend, the oh, pride of joy. And you went to uh, Whitney Young, Dolphins, right? I yeah. did. Uh, Carlos Ramirez Rose also went there. He actually wanted to give you a shout out. There. The oh, dolphin, <laughs> the dolphin uh, shout out there. <laughs> that is, it's a Whitney Young on. Dolphin. Uh, yes. <laughs> it, that, that is just not even funny. Okay, they're the Dolphins. All right. That's pretty funny. All right, here we go. Do you know we used to be called the Maggots? For magnets, oh, that was boy. back in the day. Wow, there's a bad. <laughs> yeah, not the, with the maggots. No sound effect for that. <laughs> one. No, there's not. Thank God they changed that one. They're the dolphins now. They have a swimming pool, so you know they can swim everywhere. With you, all right, go uh, dolphins. Go, go, all right, all right, flipper. Uh, that man playing the little dolphin sound is, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. Back home, they call him. You know what they call him, Nicole? Back home, you know, a lot of people don't know this. They call him White Lightning. Oh yeah, because he's so fast. No one's ever called me. That. Uh, anyway, <laughs> give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Hey, downloaders, you know we live stream this show, right? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And, hey, we live stream on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. While you're there, give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. See you tomorrow.